0: Hey, jibbers and jabbers, it's J-Mac here. This is just for you audio listeners. Thank you very much for listening to us as long as you have. We much appreciate it and we hope you're still enjoying it. But we would love it if you would go and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you love what you hear, you'll love what you see. Get over there now. Click on subscribe to keep up to date. Thank you.
1: everyone to this amazing episode of the Jibber Jabber podcast. J-Mac, tell them why it's amazing. Because we have a
0: very special guest this evening. Slightly earlier than we normally do it, but mm-hmm. these things happen sometimes. Uh, we have um, a real proper Hollywood producer on tonight. Now, the good thing about this show is over the, the years that we've been doing it, we've always kind of tried to focus on having really interesting guests on. It's at the point now where we're starting to really climb the ladder of the caliber of guests that we can get. And that's all thanks to you guys for watching. And thanks to the good reputation we leave with the guys that come on. So um, I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be a, it's it's going to be very, I I love these kind of inside baseball conversations. When you can talk to somebody who's so involved in the film industry, they, they can give you all the information that you would never think to ask as well and it's yeah it's going to be a blast
1: did you essentially just say all oh, our previous guests were shite i, did not. I said we're climbing the ladder <laughs> <laughs> we're leaving the peasants down there <laughs> absolutely not and no, one every... thing you
0: also notice is that kevin likes to throw me right under every bus that comes by
1: <laughs> even the ones i could see coming a mile off not every guest so is we <laughs> 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 every guest we've ever had on the show has been an absolute pleasure and and it just creates that wall that we you know every guest is a brick in that wall that we create of the jibber Jabber podcast but for us it's a really special one because one of our absolute favorite movies from our favorite franchises mm-hmm. freddy versus jason doug was a producer on this along with uh, many other movies which we will talk about here on the show so we're going to kind of build to freddy versus jason we'll not kind of just go straight into that i know that it's very much being promoted as a freddy versus jason episode which it is. if you're a freddy versus jason fan you come here you're going to get exactly what you want but we'd like to kind of let you see a bit more about the producer and what a producer does and what doug's done doug's had an an extraordinary career and still is in that realm of producing uh, so we're going to basically Like it like sitting at a bar, we're going to dive into a conversation with Doug and pick his brain. So, ladies and gents, Doug Curtis. Welcome to the show, Doug Curtis. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. It's great to be here absolutely it's going to be uh it's going to be a great show for what we've got planned um so we're just going to basically as we always as we always do talk to you about the the role you've had you know what kind of inspired you to chase that kind of career because it's not like i said to you before previously when we had chatted it's not a career that you can you can apply for on the job site. It's not something that you learn in school. You know, anybody here want to be a milkman? Yeah. Anybody here want to go and work in retail? So who wants to yeah, be a producer? Yeah. It's just not one of those things that happens. Eh? So we're just gonna kinda we're gonna start there really you know, for you, what was your introduction to, to producer? Did you know you wanted to become a producer or did it kind of just happen for you?
2: I I didn't know I wanted to be a producer. I knew I wanted to be a director. Mm-hmm. Uh I started my career as an actor. I left, I grew up in a little town called Dodge city, Kansas, which is where Gunsmoke and white herb and all those shows began. Mm-hmm. Um, but in high school, I decided I wanted to be an actor it was during the James Dean era. After that, everyone to be, everyone wanted to be James Dean and I was mm-hmm. one of them.
3: <laughs> so
2: just like James Dean. When I graduated from high school, I got on a train and went to New York city and, uh, studied with Stella Adler who was the best acting teacher in the world at that point right. but Vietnam came along and uh, that kind of interrupted everything I was doing so college it was going to be whether I wanted to be or not because that would keep me out of out of the army I also got married and it was in college that I really discovered what I wanted to do uh, I, well, I was lucky enough to have a big film class like one of those 101 intros to film. with. It was taught by a very famous professor who'd written textbooks for film classes. And one of the things we had to do was go to a movie every week and write a review on a five by eight card and turn it in. And I loved that. I mean, I loved movies. I grew up loving movies. We had four movie theaters in Dodge. My dad loved movies. So every time a movie would come to one of those theaters, we'd go. So I saw a lot of movies. So at the end of the, sem- of the semester, as I was walking out getting my final grade, he said, have you thought about a film going into film or as a film career somehow? And I said, not really. And he said, maybe you should think about that. You've, you really have an understanding of film that most of my students don't and haven't. And that was one of those moments. And you know, everybody's got a moment in their life when it's like somebody turned a light bulb on. That was mine. And it just changed my life. Mm -hmm. And there was just happened to be a company in Kansas City, which was just half an hour from University of Kansas where I graduated, uh, called Calvin Films, Mm -hmm. which was at that time, the biggest independent corporate film company in the world. 300 employees, biggest 16 millimeter lab in the world. And it's where Robert Altman started and Richard Serafian, and Ray deal, a lot of great directors, editors, Lou Lombardo, who mm-hmm. cut all of Altman's early films. And I got a job there. I was going to make a film. I'd written a documentary about the, about the unrest in the black community in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And a football star with the Chiefs at that time was going to finance it. <laughs> so I'd gone to Calvin and I said, I've got this documentary I'm going to do, but I don't – I'm wondering if you could – if I could – Get, would you guys give me the, the equipment to make it? Because I don't have the, I just don't have the budget to do that. They said, sure, we'll do that. So it wasn't long after that that Curtis McClinton, he was the football player, said, actually, we don't have the money to finish this documentary. <laughs> so I went back to Calvin and I said, well, I really appreciate you giving this equipment. I couldn't, I can't tell you how much I like that. He said, why don't you come to work here? I mean, another, light bulb went off mm-hmm. and I went to work. Uh, it was a place where if they thought you were going to direct, you started in at the very bottom, you started an editorial, which is not the bottom, but they started you cutting hot frames out of 16 millimeter films that hadn't been cut yet. Just so you, you got your fingers on 16 millimeter film. Mm-hmm. Then you'd stay there for a couple months and you'd learn enough to, you could start cutting film. Then they put you in the sound department. And I spent a couple of months in the sound department learning about sound and sound mixing and sound recording. Uh, it was amazing. Then I got in the camera department. I learned about camera. I learned about shooting. And an opening came up. The top director, producer there, uh, they decided, Calvin decided to buy another company in Philadelphia. And they called it Calvin Philadelphia or some Clever thing like that. They made this guy the president of that company. We were in the middle of a really expensive, high-profile documentary. And by that time, they really had a lot of faith in me. And they said, would you like to take it over and finish it? I did. It won a lot of awards. And boom, everything just changed. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: So
2: within a year and a half after I started there, I was the top director there. And it just, you know, that's how it all took off. Mm. Um,
0: I must feel like a real achievement to just kind of walk in a door, and then a year later, you're at the the top of the game in the and the company. Yeah,
2: I just I couldn't believe it. I mean, I just felt like the gods had smiled on me in a big way, and they did. Um, but that's where I learned. That's where I began to learn the craft of making films. I mean, I I must have done I don't know a hundred. Documentaries, corporate films, commercials, um, all over the country, and some of them in other countries. But you know, you learn to make a movie. You learn to work, work, how to use a camera. You learn how to work with an actor. You learn how to bring a client into a shot and say, "Here's what we're talking about. I want you to tell us what what it is you've got to say about your company." Blah blah blah. And you know, you slowly but surely learn the craft of filmmaking. And that's what
1: I did. Wow. We um, we. I'm sure you said it to me previously as well, and that's something we're kind of trying to make sure that we always hold as our number one rule is always making your subject, the actor, feel comfortable. I think when someone feels yeah. comfortable, you'll get you'll get the best from them. Eh? Um. So is is that something that you were taught, or did you just kind of learn that as you were in that role? Yeah.
2: You learn it more than anything else I mean you know when I saw you the documentary about American werewolf in London
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. I told you the most impressive thing to me I, the whole movie was impressive to me but mm-hmm. what I really noticed was how much respect the guests had for the director mm-hmm. and that's what you want to achieve when you make one of those movies you want to have an you want to have you want to form a relationship with that person that's literally intimate you, you, mm-hmm. you, they, you want them to know that you've done your homework, that you really do believe in what they did, that you you, you love it or whatever it is you, you, you feel about it. And th- eventually they will start to open up to you and they will start to believe that you really want to hear it. And that's what I learned very quickly is that if you show the person you're interviewing or you're dealing with, whether it be an actor or a client or whatever, that he's the most important person in your world, right then and there. Mm-hmm. They'll give you anything. <laughs> uh, that's what you have to learn very quickly. Oh, you can't. Yeah, you can't be casual about an interview. Mm-hmm. You've got to go into it saying you've got to go into it knowing what you're going to be talking about. As you guys know, you do this very well. <laughs> well thanks. And then you've got to you've got to let them open up and tell you what they know mm-hmm. and why it's important that you know it. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the many, many things I learned making corporate films
1: and commercials and all of those, and documentaries, made a lot of documentaries. It's amazing that you managed to spot that from this documentary as well. I actually, um, I wanted to show you the, remember we were talking and I told you about the book. This is the book that the guys do. Um, so this is Paul Davis' Oh, book. So oh, him that's... and got yeah, Gary Smart and himself. The uh, cult screenings at Dead Mouse Productions. So this is the absolute. Uh, it's basically the doc, a documentary and a book, um, and that's essentially you know. I'm that, not there, surprised. That incredible, isn't it? Mean, you can just tell the amount of work and the amount of.
2: When I saw the documentary,
1: mm-hmm.
2: there was such passion in it, uh, and I told you. I I think you said he was thinking mm-hmm. about a feature film.
1: He had done it, I think he's done a few. Um, he also played a part in Star Wars as well. Um, the <laughs> really, one. yeah, yeah, so. he,
0: yeah, he got to put a Wookiee costume on. And, uh, <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, I mean, be, and, be and, funny and that's a, that
1: a, a dream, a dream scenario for him as well. Uh, so, I think you're right when you say that if, he, uh, if you make a director feel comfortable, he'll give you anything. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> I, I think he's going to make some really good films. I do, yeah, absolutely. The guys, yeah. I mean, the, they, they work together, a guy called Gary Smart and his crew. Down in England, and Paul Davis—they all work together. They—they are producing some really good stuff that's not yet in the mainstream, but it will be. There's something to uh, check out called Dark Ditties. That's something hmm. I really enjoyed. Um, he was on the show previously, and and it's good that you've kind of been able to see that. So when everybody sees the work of these guys elevate, then we'll uh, we'll be able to harken back to this episode and say, "Hey, Doug knew from the start." It's <laughs> so guess. Like a, a, a well, keen eye. A keen you eye. can honestly tell him that because I I do yeah, know that absolutely yeah. um so with uh being a producer and many everybody watches movies you sit down and you turn it on and up pops directed by produced by starring right everybody knows who stars in it they know what that is they know the director's probably the boss but then when producer comes up and you ask many people the average person doesn't know the difference between a director and a producer um we do <laughs> but but a lot of people don't and you've kind of said what a producer does but a director is the guy that has the vision for the movie and will essentially be the driving force but the producer as what you had said previously as well it's your child you're you, you essentially give the director everything he needs to do it's a family so in, in your words how would you describe the the role of a producer as someone if they said to you doug what's a producer
2: well there's basically two kinds of producers. There's a creative producer. And these are guys that do these are the guys that make it possible for a director to make a movie. Mm-hmm. They're the guys that find the screenplays or develop the screenplays. Then they spend years who knows how long knocking on doors trying to find somebody who likes it as much as they do and will finance it. Then they get the financing. Then they go out, they cast the movie uh They find all of the elements they need to go forward with it it, up to the point that they hire me. Um, And at that point, I'm the guy who says, okay, this is the movie. I've read it. I think it's a great script. Uh, Let's sit down and figure out how we're going to do it. Uh, We go through, you know, we start what's called pre-production, pre-pre-production in most cases. That's where you start to put all the elements together. That's where I start to get to know the director. I start to get to know the screenplay. I get to know the screenplay well enough that I can do a schedule for the screenplay, even before we start pre-production, just because I want to know mm-hmm. how many days I think it's going to sh- take to shoot it. Then I know I can start a budget, because it's, a budget's all about how many days you're going to shoot it. Mm-hmm. Then I do a budget. Then the director and I sit down for however many weeks or months it takes, go through that screenplay, page by page, and talk about what it is he sees, what's his vision, how he sees each each scene, and we go from there. Uh, From there, we start talking about who who do you think would be great to shoot this? Who do you think the actors are best to do this? Who do you think the production designer should do this? All of those questions. And at some point, the studio will say, okay, we're ready to start pre-production. Let's go. At that point, you go into whatever your location is, whether it be L.A. or Vancouver or Berlin. I mean, I've shot them all over the place. And you set up an office, and you start from day one figuring out how you're going to go through that movie scene by scene and make it as good as you can so that it looks like it did on the page in your mind when you read the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's my job, is to bring those guys, all of those elements together, and make sure that they and I and we can make a movie that can turn into Freddy versus Jason, hopefully. It's 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 an amazing job. And I, you know, I, I talk to kids all the time, I talk to classes. I'm always trying to convince people, you know, you should think about line producing because that's it's not as it's not like directing a movie, but it, it is the only chance you'll ever get, including the producer. Except for the director, it's the only chance you'll get to be on set every day next to the camera, watching that movie being made. Wow.
3: It's
0: it's pretty it's pretty cool. One of the the first things you mentioned there was about uh, kind of working out roughly how long you think it's going to take to to make the movie. Now, obviously, that's something that you you learn over over time. Um, I mean, what was it like the first time you were doing it, trying to? To kind of think, right, how, how, how do I work out how long this is going to take?
2: It was hard because it's, you know, the longer you do it, the easier it gets because you've had so much experience doing it. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got to have, to get to a point where you can actually say, this guy's as good as it gets, you have to be able to say, I've made this movie that was some wasn't like this, but there were scenes like this and here's what it took to do it. Because when you do a schedule, when you do the first, it's a breakdown, they call it. You go through that screenplay, and there's two two programs that everybody uses. There's Movie Magic Budgeting and Movie Magic Scheduling. And those two programs are what you use. You do a schedule. You go through every page of the scene script. And on every page, if somebody says, he pulls out his gun, you make a note, gun. You type that into the program, gun, then you say, he pulls out a knife. Okay, there's a knife here. He gets in his car and drives away. Oh, there's a car. You put every single element in that breakdown. So at the end of the day, you've got a gun being used 20 days. you got a knife being used two days. you got this being used seven days. And it all goes into a board, which is called a chrono board, where you've broken out every single day that you think, okay. The other thing you do is that you say, All right. Fifteen pages happens in this house. Twenty-five pages happens on the street in this town. Sixteen pages happens in school. So you gotta put all of those elements together in one section. And then you put all of the things in one long board. So you've got you know how many days it's gonna be, you know where every location is gonna be. Then the fun part starts. You start going into that long schedule of things. And you start moving strips around, which is a strip that's got a description of the scene and what's in it, how many actors are in it. And you start putting it together like, OK, this would be good for week one because we'll be in that location. But all the things that are going to happen at that school there, the next time you you put everything is going to be on the street, the next place, or what, whatever, and at the end of the day, you've got a schedule that shows Okay, on day one, this is where we're going to shoot. It's going to be in the school. Day two, we're going to finish the school. I mean, if you look at Freddy versus Jason, we shot two days in that high school. They were actually the first two days of the shoot. Wow. Uh, that was Those are two tense days because nobody knew if the actors we hired were up to the task. But <laughs> we got to find out the first two days. Wow. The next 10 days were on Elm Street, outside Elm Street. And it was rain that we created all ten nights. It was unbelievably hard. And the actors had to act in those in those conditions. But that's when you really know the actors, right? But that's that's the way it happens. You just schedule these things. And you're also scheduling around actors availability. Because if you've got a star, yeah. like if you've got, you know, we had Kelly Rowland and Freddie versus Jason. And yeah. she was she was a big star then, she probably yeah. still is. But She had, there were only so many days she could work because then she'd have to be on tour. (laughs) And we scheduled her very carefully. But even though we scheduled it carefully, we'd be in the middle of a scene out of nowhere. Her manager would call me and say, We really need Kelly tomorrow. Uh, And I'd say, Well, you can't have her because we scheduled her for this location and we agreed to this a long time ago. Well, it doesn't make any difference. We've got to have her. And that's the kind of problems you deal with. When you when you deal with, particularly music stars, <laughs> but it's you've a it. it's a, it's a trip. I mean, those are the kind of elements you got to deal with continually,
0: mm. and, and that's the fun of it. It's like a big oh. Rubik's cube of problems exactly. and solutions that's that you're trying to put together. Yeah, yeah. Um, One,
1: there's a, something actually I've always wondered, right? And uh, with you saying about the. That when it comes to, you know, who do you think would be good for this when it comes to acting, getting the actors for hire. I think to myself, right, you all, we always see these these actors that grow up. We grew up watching them, and they disappear. They're gone from Hollywood for some reason, right? So, for example, Brendan Fraser. Love Brendan Fraser. I've never seen him in anything bad. Then he just stopped being in movies, right? Now, say He's you're... Saying, well, uh, yeah, yeah. and a character actor. Yeah, and I hope it goes uh, as, as good as it always should have been. But the thing, right, when I look at Brendan Fraser, I go, of course I'm going to watch anything with Brendan Fraser in it. From a p- fan perspective, if Brendan mm. Fraser's in it, I'm going to watch it, right? But is there a conversation that happens between a director and a producer where it's like, well, that person's on the out? Is there like a, a code? Is it a political thing? What what makes someone someone of yesterday what is it? Because it's not his acting ability. Do you know what I mean? Is there, is there something like that when you get to the table that, that stops you bringing someone in you know would be really good at it?
2: You know, it's, I don't know. It's a variable that nobody's ever figured out. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes it's an actor that just, you know, they, they, they've they caused too much trouble on the set. People say he's too difficult to work with. <laughs> sometimes it's, it's, they just become the popularity goes down. They just people don't like them as much as they did. You know, one of the sad stories when you start casting any movie, and independent producers will understand this better than anybody the movie all depends on who you cast. That's how that's how you're going to get financing. You don't get financing until you got a cast that the studio or the financier thinks is going to attract enough money to make the movie, particularly if it's an independent movie in the foreign markets. So particularly when when we started doing, we started casting Philadelphia Experiment, for instance, Mm -hmm. you always put together a list of 20 people, 20 actors, you think, these are my favorite actors, we can get these guys in this order, we're good to go. And you always put the best actor at number one, and and the actor that you don't really think could do it at number 20. Before the process is over, sometimes by the time you get to a point, and everybody's turned you down, that guy that was number twenty looks like the best actor that ever did. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know what? He's not that bad. Excuse uh, me, that <laughs> That's all good.
1: But that's that's what. Time. Yeah, that's what happens. in the one.
2: <laughs> the, so, but Ben Brendan Fraser. Going back to him. He's got a. He's had a couple of projects recently that
3: mm-hmm.
2: he, he's great in, but I didn't even recognize him. He's put on a lot of weight. Uh, he's playing a, He's n- normally playing a heavy now, both literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. But he's still a good actor. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But what happened to him? Why? Why leading man Brendan Fraser went away? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you yeah. see?
0: Did you see Russell Crowe in Unhinged? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, That's certainly a, a change of image. Uh, m- yeah. My wife, we were watching that. And my wife said, "Is that John Goodman?" I said, "No." That's, that's <laughs> well, he's, he's heavier than John Goodman. Uh, oh, he yeah. is now. Yeah. Uh,
1: Marv Marv Dogger says Bob Shea had his cameo in the high school. Um, do, yes, do you are you familiar with Bob Shea? Oh, there we are. Uh, thanks for that, Marv. <laughs> well <laughs> spotted. <laughs> um, yeah. Just um, here, you, you, you guys know Bob Shea, is I know John Shea is. Bob Shea, <laughs> <a different> guy. <laughs> Bob Shea was the,
2: the guy who founded New Line Cinema. Right, right. Yeah, and until, yeah. Until saying. five or six years ago was the CEO. Mm-hmm. And every movie was greenlit if he said, I want to make this. That <laughs> right. was the way it goes. Yeah, but Bob yeah. Shea started as an actor way back when. Right. And so almost every movie he made, or fi- you know, the studio finance, he had a, he had a big part in it.
1: Ah, the old and when we
2: did when we did Freddy versus Jason, it was understood he was going to come to camp, he was going to come to Vancouver, and he was going to do the role. and He played the principal of the high school. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: yeah.
2: Although we never identified him as that, and he we did three or four scenes. He ended up in one, I think. <laughs> you know, and when yeah, I did yeah. cellular, he was in that as well. So
0: yeah, yeah. New Line Cinema. It's one, of, it's one of these studios that uh, I mean, we, we all recognize it when it comes up. You've got the, you know the. The cellulite, cellulite, mm-hmm. the celluloid reel, um, yeah, <laughs> and, and the script now, they have made so many good movies, um, mm-hmm. over the years. I mean, just yeah, off the top of my too. head, yeah, yeah, uh, off the top of my head, like Blade comes to mind, um, cellular, yeah, and,
1: and,
0: and <laughs> the, the Friday <laughs> movies, <laughs> the Friday
1: movies, yes, yes, yeah,
0: um, and yeah, it's uh every time new line new cinema comes up i'm like yes here we go <laughs> yes well, i know really they, they're
2: they're amazing you know the guy that was president for a long time particularly when i was doing when i did freddy and cellular and shoot him up he was a guy who started there basically as a pa got into the music side became president of music and bob shea and then he wrote a screenplay uh Gosh, what was the name of it? It was Dennis
0: Quaid. It's a time travel movie. Frequency. That's Frequency, one my... Frequency which I loved. Frequency. I love that film. Yes. My dad loves it as well. It's he such wrote, a good movie. Every dad loves that movie. Yeah. <laughs> but he wrote it, and after he
2: after that movie came out, Bob Shea said, "You're the new president," and he's wow. made yeah. now he's president of at production at Warner Brothers, but. Wow. New Line Cinema is part of Warner Brothers. So, you know, yeah, they do make a lot of great movies because they got a lot of people that think great movies.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, you, you get excited. I like I like to see the Lionsgate logo at the start. That always gets me excited. And New Line, the yeah. definitely. New Line always for me is just, it's just Freddy versus Jason. That's always what I kind of <laughs> harken back yeah. to. Because that's when you first hear the, the merging of both the, the themes from uh, Freddy versus, like, that's right. Day, 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 day. Well,
2: New Line Cinema, <laughs> yeah. New Line Cinema made the made all of the British yeah. films.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, which is, of course, I've got. You can't see them fully, but they're all there. Uh, the yeah, full, the full every collection. every episode you have to kind of turn. I'm like,
0: wait! Hell, I've got that. I know. <laughs>
2: it's funny when the first <laughs> film was made at exactly the time we made America, made Philadelphia Experiment. Mm. Yeah, 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 They were casting it at the same time. Mm. And that's the right. movie that really, really created new line cinema as we know it now. Mm. That franchise made them what what they are.
1: Yeah. We um so, we're definitely going to talk about Philadelphia Experiment very, very shortly, because that's one for me that I had never I'd never seen it before. Um but then when I had watched it and I looked I'd kind of gone back and looked at reviews and stuff, it is one that's very, very well regarded among the you know, the moviegoers, what movies for you growing up was movies that made you say, you know, I want to make movies? What were your favorite? Because if someone asked me this, like I just say, you know, it would, if you talk horror, it's of course the Halloween series, it's uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, going to other kind of genres, the, the comedy things, not another teen movie. But when, <laughs> uh, for yourself, what what was it for you? What was your, your you your know, kind of movie growing up?
2: the movies I loved were dramas, basically. I loved Elie Kazan movies. I loved East of Eden. That was my favorite movie of all time. I uh, loved On the Waterfront, uh, Giant. You know, I, I just loved movies that had scope and great acting. Mm-hmm. Um, I still do. I still think that's, that's the best cinema there is. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the movies that influenced me the most. And, you know, as I grew up, particularly in the late 60s, early 70s, movies changed. That's when, you know, the great young directors came along. We started seeing movies like like uh, the Dennis Hopper film, the motorcycle film. Easy Rider. Easy Rider. Yep. Um, it, they're just, it just all changed. And that's when everybody started thinking about cinema in a different way. Hmm. And then when Star Wars happened, it really changed everything. Star Wars was the first blockbuster, you know. Mm-hmm. That's when people started lining up around the block, thus blockbuster to see it. And that mm-hmm. was the first big movie I saw in the theater. I saw it in, in, in Grauman's Chinese Theater, and it blew me away. Yeah. I mean, that's when I started thinking, you know, movies just don't have to be dramas. They can be
0: adventures, and they can be they can be fantasies. Mm-hmm. And that's... Sorry, were you a horror fan at all? Did you see The Exorcist when that came out in '70s? Oh, I love The I, Exorcist. I was yeah. not a
2: horror fan. I'm still not a big horror fan, but I think The Exorcist is one of the best movies to this day ever made. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, and I loved it.
1: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a, a very scary one. Um, <laughs> very. <laughs> <laughs> profound comment
0: of the week goes to Kevin.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, it was though, but it was so it was so brilliant and so <laughs> so well directed. I mean, yeah yeah <laughs> um so new line cinema just before we kind of get into the first movie you ever made new line cinema i've noticed that pretty much a lot of the movies i've watched of yours recently has had the new line cinema logo at the start is that a working relationship because I, am i right in thinking as a producer you could essentially work for any studio and any project is it or were you kind of exclusively with new line cinema or did you just kind of have a, a, a bit of loyalty to them
2: it kind of worked out that way. I, you know, the first movie I did for new line cinema was, was next Friday. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I just come on.
2: Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, I had tried for a long time to make a movie for new line because they were a very popular place to work, but it just didn't work out. And then the, the producer who was the first time producer of next Friday heard about me because of another movie I did. We interviewed, he liked me, the director liked me. And when the movie was over new line, liked me, so I did the next Ice Cube movie and then the next Ice Cube movie.
1: Yeah.
2: And that's when I got the call about Freddy versus Jason. So
1: at the end of the day, I did six or seven movies for them in a row. That's brilliant. Um, so we're going to kind of talk about it. It's a great place to work, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I've only ever heard great things about them. Um, the first movie you ever – I mean, your first credited one, and you had told me about it previously, The Hazing, which is also known as The Curious Case of Campus Corpse. So – for you, was this the, your first time obviously doing what you do? And, uh, you obviously directed that. Were you like, right, here we go. This is it. I'm in the movie business. What was that like for you?
2: Oh, it was, a, it was scary, but a trip. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the only way I could get it made is raise the money for it, which mm-hmm. I did. I mean, I went out, I, I found the screenplay, which I loved the minute I read it. It was written by the television writer that I'd worked with making corporate films. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bruce Shelley. And I started sending out to people I knew in the Midwest that had money, particularly theater people, theater owners. It didn't, nothing happened for about six months. And one day I got a call out of nowhere from a couple of producers who owned most of the theaters in Des Moines, Iowa. I mean, literally it was July 4th. And they said, Is this Doug Curtis. And I said, yes. I said, we've read your script and we want to make it. <laughs> I mean, I looked at my wife and said, yeah.
0: <laughs> God, God. but they did I told you, you know. it was going to work <laughs> Yeah.
2: <laughs> literally four months later we were in Flagstaff Arizona making a movie wow. but it, it was it was scary because that's when I learned how hard it is to direct a movie yeah. and that really influenced me as a producer for the rest of my career I mean I know how hard it is to direct a movie and I know what's going on in the head of every director when he's making a movie he's he's it's, it's an incredibly difficult job because it's all about a 1,000 people asking you a 1,000 questions a day, and you've got to give them an answer. And then you've got to, then you've got to make each scene work, and you've got to do it within, within 12 hours a day. Um, it's a hard job, but the hazing was a – I loved it. It was a great experience. When I look back on it now, it's still a pretty good movie given what we had to make it with. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing.
1: And that's that's how it all started. That's amazing. We also have another yeah. question here from Heather Dow. She says, you've mentioned about making movies all over the world. Did anywhere stand out as being a personal favorite to work in?
2: Uh, I would say Rome. I was there for eight months on a movie. Italy, all over. Wow. It was a beautiful place to make a movie. Uh, I also love making movies in Vancouver. I made two of them there. Um, Toronto is a great place to make a movie. Uh, Berlin was a nice city. Miami was a great city. I mean, I've been very fortunate to make movies in places that you want to go you know, <laughs> as, a, as a tourist. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. So what's not to like? You know, they, they pay me a lot of money to do it. Mm-hmm. They give me a, enough money to live in a great place. And it's, it's, it's a trip. So, all those locations, I'd say Rome and Vancouver would be number one and number two.
1: I can imagine it being like, um, so you're, you're producing the movie, it's got a big budget, and you're like, This, right? Where is this set? Where do I fancy going? Yeah. <laughs> How about the Bahamas? <laughs> well, you, unfortunately, you don't get to
2: make those kind of decisions. Oh,
0: well, <laughs> that's, that's determined by the script and by the studio. Yeah, uh, something that's been happening quite a lot. In, in the last kind of decade or so, is uh, Hollywood has been setting foot in Scot- Scotland quite a lot mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to really big budget movies. Um, now, the there's the I think at the minute they they might have finished or they're still maybe filming something, but uh, they were using Glasgow mm-hmm. for Gotham City um, recently for the new Flash movie with Batman, and uh, before that we had World War Z. Um, that was, Indiana Jones. Um, Yeah, Indiana Jones as well, that's filming right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, World War Z was doubling, uh, but Glasgow was doubling for Philadelphia. Now, yeah. the fact that it's cheaper <laughs> to fly a whole cast and crew to Scotland to, to film in Glasgow than just film in Philadelphia, I, I can't compute. <laughs> let me, why that, let me why tell that's you how,
2: why that works. First of all, you don't fly a whole crew to Glasgow. You, you hire the crew in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. You, bring the, you bring the director, photographer, you bring the, depending on how much budget you have, you bring the actors, you bring the production designer, you bring the producers, you bring probably your lead accountant, but everybody else you hire there. Okay. And then you get there and there's a huge rebate that comes out of Scotland that makes it a lot cheaper than it would be to make it in Philadelphia, which doesn't have film crew to begin with. So, so that's why people go to Toronto. I mean, Toronto is always doubled as New York City.
1: Because, you, right. you know,
2: people who have never been in New York don't know the difference. <laughs> even, even if they have been, it's shot so that you really don't. Because usually a, a film company will go to New York City and they'll spend maybe a week with a second unit crew just shooting establishing shots. Yeah. All the things you know are in New York. You go back to Toronto and you shoot all the interiors and all the close-ups and everything else. That that was the case of shoot em up, uh, but in Toronto you also get an incredible rebate. That's that's because of the Canadian, the Canadian rebate, particularly in in Ontario, and the price of the dollar is much cheaper. So when we did Freddie versus Freddie versus Jason, this was in Vancouver, the cut, the dollar then was seventy two cents, seventy cent seventy two cent Canadian dollar, so we were saving. A lot of money just in currency plus they had a 30 percent rebate on everything you spent there so a movie that costs you know 30 40 million dollars would cost 50 60 million dollars if we made it in los angeles so that's why people go somewhere else that's exactly why (laughs) so it makes absolute sense and that's what a line producer does right off the bat (laughs) he finds out where where is the cheapest and best place for this movie to make the movie Mm, and yeah, so that's... much is, so much of big movies are shot online, online on um, sound stages
0: mm.
2: that you know most people wouldn't know where it was shot in, yeah. in Scotland or Los Angeles or anyplace else. Yeah. And, and with the advent of the green screen, blue screen, you can throw up a blue screen and put New York City in in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So
0: there are no limitations about where you can shoot now. Yeah, the technology, the technology now is just, it's at a point where you think where Unbelievable. It, how, how is it going to get any better? I mean, yeah. I think there are certain things where you can go, right, okay, it's really good CGI, but I know it's CGI. Mm. Uh, one one film, I saw it, it was, it was on a compilation of movies that you didn't know had CGI and it was uh, Zodiac, you know, the, 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 yeah. the, killer, the serial killer thing that, with Mark Ruffalo and so many other people. Um, but it's like the the background was CGI to make it look like it was in the seventies. And you, you had no idea. It was, it I know was pic, it's a picture, amazing. picture, real yeah. ph- photograph real. It's it's crazy uh, what they can do now.
1: Yeah. It's a world
0: of pure imagination. No, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's, to,
2: it's to a point now that there's just no limitation. Yeah. I mean, I, I just saw free guy, this new movie that just came out mm, last weekend. It's yeah. it's a, talk about CG being advanced. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And it's it's a lot of fun, too. but as a line producer as I was watching and I was just
0: thinking, talk about a challenge. I just had no idea. Mm. But, speaking yeah. of, speaking of fun, I mean, I think it's one thing that seems to be missing a lot of the time in modern cinema is just a a movie that's fun without trying to have some kind of political message. Uh, I mean, a, a movie like Freddy versus Jason, for example, it's it's pure fun. It's not trying to tell you anything. That you don't already know in life. It's not trying to push some kind of agenda. Um, are you glad that you were that you were kind of around for that era, making films where you can just make things that are just balls oh, yeah. more fun? Absolutely. I mean, I, I wish I wish more movies happened. I mean, the,
2: I think now more and more are. But I think everybody needs a laugh now, and everybody needs a fantasy, and everybody needs an adventure. So I think that's going to that's not going to stop. But I, I did have a lot of fun making those
1: movies. Yeah, well, it will definitely come back. And another movie that is somewhat an adventure is the Philadelphia Experiment nineteen eighty four. So this yeah. was, I mean, I, I had, I, I'm sure it's, uh, uh, the name rang a bell when you had mentioned it to me. But when I went back and watched it, um, the one of the really cool thing was is sometimes when I watch a movie that's maybe I don't know, maybe a bit older than then the like 80s for me is horror be careful uh, that film is the same age as me be careful where you <laughs> go with this it's yeah. really horror right so i can lose concentration a lot but this movie kept me gripped um and it, you know it's it's just one of those i kind of wish i'd watched it growing up so that i'd mm. have more fond memories of watching it but i know i'll watch it again at some point i'm going to get the uh the blu-ray because you can actually get the blu-ray yes. i think you, yeah, it's it's, Amazon on Amazon. it's in German though. The the cover's German, but the oh, well, you the, get Blu-ray uh,
2: in English. I'm pretty sure.
1: Think, fingers you. crossed. Yeah, it's, um, I, I know. It's, you can definitely you can rent it on Amazon Prime. And um, so, the Philadelphia Experiment is essentially, depending on which way you look at it, a true story. I mean, when it was pitched to you, <laughs> or how did you come about? How did you come about getting your hands on the Philadelphia Experiment?
2: Well at the time I at the time we were developing I had a deal with a, a studio called Avco Embassy
3: mm-hmm. which
2: is a studio that did the graduate they did all of the early John carpenter movies and, mm-hmm. and Joe Dante movies Joe Dante I mean uh, Joe Dante by the way was one of the guys that was going to direct the movie
3: uh-huh. but
2: it took so long to develop the story that he went on to do the howling but John oh, carpenter awesome. had written there was a book Called Philadelphia Experiment, written by Charles Belitz. Uh, the studio bought the book. And Carpenter said, Well, I'm gonna I, I like this story. I don't like the story, but I'm gonna write a script about it. And he wrote a script that was it was totally not about that particular story. Hmm. And he wrote himself into a corner and he couldn't finish the third act. And he wanted to get on to Escape from New York. So he left the project. And Bob Ramey, who was CEO at that time, and my mentor forever, mm-hmm. brought it to me and said, here's a script. It's, it's not finished. I don't even know if you like it or you like the idea. There's a book. And I don't think the studio had bought the book, actually. So I read the book. I read the script. The script wasn't makeable. I read the book. I thought it was fascinating. Uh, but I didn't think it was a movie. So I said, yeah, like, let's let's develop something. So I bought the rights to the book. I bought John Carpenter's script and set about to find a way to make that story work. And for all of you who haven't seen it, basically it was a it was a radar experiment in 1945 that the Philadelphia, that the Navy was experimenting with trying to make warships invisible to radar. And as the story goes, one day they actually made a ship. Not only radar invisible, but it disappeared. Period, for about 12 seconds. And when it came back, two of the crew members supposedly didn't come back. The crew, the the, the ship deck itself was all twisted and torn, and uh, it was just it was just it was crazy. So uh-huh. I said, well, how do you make a story about that? I mean, it's it's a phenomenal experiment, but how do you make that work? So after a long time and three writers came up with the idea that what's, what works is what happened to those two guys that didn't come back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What happened (laughs) to them? So in the movie, they go forward in time to 1982, which is when we were making the movie and they're all of a sudden they're from 1945 to 1982. They're in this brand new world, that they have no idea about it'd be like from somebody going from 1982 to 2021 and they have to figure out how to how to survive, and figure out if they can get back and turn this. In the meantime, this experiment is turned on a, uh, a vortex that eventually is going to destroy the world, it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> but so, Michael Perret plays the lead. He was very popular then, and particularly in foreign markets. And He's Nancy a handsome, Allen played handsome the, guy. He's a really uh, handsome guy. <laughs> he still is. He he doesn't look like he did then, but. He was the most handsome guy in the world at that time. I think <laughs> he was, and not a bad actor. Mm-hmm. So you know, at the end, of, at the end of the film, he's able to go back through that vortex onto the ship, turn it off, and the world is saved. But gosh, it was fun to make it, and it. it we thought the best time to bring it out would be the studio did. That's 1984 was when the Olympics were in Los Angeles, California. So mm-hmm. Ramy said, I think we should release it on the first day of the Olympics. It sounded like a great idea. We just didn't know that Purple Rain was going to come out the same day. <laughs> so it didn't do as well as we hoped it would. But when it got into VHS, it became such a hit. and mm-hmm. remains so to this day. I mean, you, you could go on any blockbuster and there'd be a note under it saying, this is our favorite movie. You know, mm-hmm. just, am I right?
0: It, am I right in saying that the the transition from uh, cinema to home video was really, really quick for this movie? I, I'm sure. Oh, it, I think it, I read well, somewhere that it held a record at the time. It might still be the record for. I think it was like a month, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like two months, maybe. It was pretty quick. I mean, you know, it was you know the movie was financed in large part by home
2: video. They put mm-hmm. up the early money for it because home video was new then, and they were trying to just get product Mm -hmm. so they put up a couple million and then when new line got involved new line cinema not new line new world pictures uh they bought the rights from from uh, hbo and they made it but it went from it went from cinema to, to you know to to the other markets in a second yeah and it was very very
0: popular. There was a few touches. Just with it being a time travel movie, one thing, one element of time travel movies that I really like are the ones where people from the past come into the present day. Not not going in. They're going into the future, but it's not our future. It's our present day. I love that. The, the, Me too. The, the whole thing, with, like when they're walking along, when they first come in and they're walking along the the. I don't know if it's salt flats or something, but anyway, they pick up a coke can. They're like, "Wow, it's so light! What is this?" They don't know. Yeah. They, they've never seen. They've never seen a a coke can before, and stuff like that. It, well, right it. after that, uh, a, a navy jet plane flies over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's. Can An you helicopter. imagine that? <laughs> <laughs> I <If> mean, <it> came <laughs> from nineteen forty-five. <laughs> to go back to Brendan Fraser for a second he did that movie blast from the past back in the late 90s and that that was that was a blast that was really good fun but it wasn't time travel i think he'd been in a a bomb shelter for 30 years hmm. and uh, he thought I, did, I didn't see that movie that's a really good fun movie i, I think Got it's a like crack. a ro- romantic comedy blast from the past really really good film but i think he's been in a bomb shelter for the last 30 years he thinks that the world's been ravaged by nuclear war and uh he comes out everything's fine great concept it's it, it's such good fun. I love I love that type of thing. Um, it's essentially,
1: mate. Brendan Fraser done also uh, here. It's called California Man, but in America, man right? And it's <laughs> where he's frozen for a number of years and comes out as a caveman. He's essentially yeah. George of the Jungle with the Goonies. Yeah. There's a There's some source material of the Philadelphia Experiment that says that a lot of folk on that ship that returned were mashed in, <laughs> were That's mashed right. into the ship. That's right. Like, That's exactly what, like the story, how
2: the story went. Yeah. Like
1: so. See, when you were kind of working on that, was there people? Did you? I know it's bad now because we've got the internet and anybody's a scientist. But back then, <laughs> were there people saying, "Hey, this is too raw," or were there conspiracy theorists being like, "Oh, Hollywood are doing the whole, oh look who's just bought it, new, new world yeah. cinema"? Hey, eh? <laughs> none of that. Uh, we
2: tried to no. get we tried to get some help from the defense department just so we could get some footage and stuff, but. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't want anything to do with it. So Mm -hmm. everything you see, like the jet planes and everything, that was all stock footage we bought from other companies. Mm -hmm. But no, it was conspiracies weren't nearly what they are now. Then people (laughs) love conspiracies. You know, they were relatively new,
1: and they like time travel movies. You know. Yeah. I just, I, love, I love the idea. I think that would have topped it off for me, uh, like the boat returning with something just in the boat, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like twisted and stuff. That that's, I mean, that is almost a horror story in itself, isn't it? If yeah. you're the person on the boat, I, I like. I, I think that Philadelphia experiment is a, a really great concept. It's a really great movie as well. I think that's a movie that they could probably do now as well. Well, well they the did, TJ. Did they actually? I never, <laughs> yeah, I never found yeah, that. There's yeah, been they,
0: a couple- a couple of remakes that were. Has yeah, very they, good?
2: I didn't. I haven't seen them, but I hear they're terrible. I wouldn't uh-huh. see them just because I know they'd be terrible. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think. Yeah, I, I think they were done a while ago, though. I think it was like the, the late nineties and maybe early two thousands. But they looked more like TV movies.
1: Yeah, um, they were. Yeah, they were I, TV I,
0: movies. I think maybe given given the right the right amount of money and the right people involved, that they could do something special. Chris Evans oh, and I, Scarlett I,
1: Johansson. There you go.
2: I mean, I'd love to have a studio come to me and say, let's remake Philadelphia Experiment, yeah. because it could be a great movie, and I think it'd make a lot of money. Absolutely. It's, just, it's a great story, and it's a great adventure, you know?
1: But yeah, it's not uh, going to happen now. It would be good as well for the conspiracy theory community to have something yeah. new as well. To, oh, they're making it! <laughs> I know. So oh, we, we got to keep feeding that machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think movies like that are great, though. Movies that yeah. have elements of truth because I I don't know if it's ever been reported that that it did happen but I mean anything's possible I suppose when you think about it so to kind of have that kind of adds a bit more mystique to the movie itself and that's when when I started watching it I knew that there was elements of truth in it or Supposed truth, and that for me was like, Right, what can I take away from here that I can really get behind and think, Right, this actually happened? You know, I think that Do you know, the very... thing that made the movie
2: that most popular of all was the love story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why so many people, particularly women, love this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 at the end of the day, it's a love story. Two yeah. people from two different times meet and fall in love. And they it, had a bit of a rocky meat, like. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Give me a gun. <laughs> <Yeah. Spoiling laughs> a no. It was so much fun, so much fun to shoot that scene. In it. You
0: know I mean? No fun intended. We shot all that in,
2: in, in Utah, uh,
1: in the middle of the winter, and it was cooler than hell. It was uh, just yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It's it's brilliant. I, I like watching. It. It's got a nice, comfortable feeling. Was that was account. I right
0: a second ago? Then it was it was on the salt flats. It was it was Barile
2: Salt Lake, and it was like it was. (laughs) I'm telling you, it was zero degrees, not 32 Mm. degrees, zero. Zero
1: And the two the the two two
2: actors, (laughs) the two actors were so cold as the crew was, you Mm. could not put enough clothes on. And as you remember in the movie, all they had on were their their navy coats and their navy pants.
3: Yeah,
2: we had them all wrapped up, and whenever when the director said, "Okay, we're ready to go." Took all the blankets off. They went out, did their scenes,
0: came right back, wrapped them up.
2: Wow, that's how
0: cold it was. God, that's insane, isn't it? Welcome to the movie business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah.
1: And Nancy Allen. Um, this yeah. is probably the only other I'm thing right I've seen in her it. in, aside yeah. from the obvious. Uh, yeah. She was really good in it. Um, it was quite cool to to. It's quite cool to see her. I don't. I don't really see her in much these days. She was <laughs> married to Brian De Palma uh-huh. at that time. Or they just got
0: divorced, but they were—they've been married. Yeah.
1: <laughs> nice. Brian yeah, so De the legend. I would definitely recommend everybody to go and see the Philadelphia Experiment, and that's kind of that for you is like your your first your first love. Yeah, that know. was my first
0: kind of big movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It
0: it's had like a real it's... budget and. <clears throat> John, John Carpenter, obviously he started uh, writing the script for that and he's, he is credited as a, as a producer on the movie. Did, did you guys have any collaboration there or was it just because of the writing credit, he, he got given the producer credit? How did that work? Well, this is
2: another thing, that how it works in the movie business. John Carpenter had a big name then. Of course, he still does now, but then he was he was a huge name and yep. he was huge in the foreign markets. So when we, we knew we were going to make most of our sales early on in the foreign market. One of the reasons we got Michael Perret because he was so popular, but we also knew that if John Carpenter's name was on it, we'd have no trouble selling it. Mm -hmm. So I went to Carpenter and I said, okay, how much will it cost me for you to put your name as executive producer on the movie? We arrived at a price and there you go. that's (laughs) it, that's how it works. That's it. He never set foot on the the, the set. Same way with oh, Black Moon what? Rising. Wow. <laughs> right. Although he did write that screenplay and we rewrote it, but he never set foot
0: in the script on it. Mm. That's, Imagine your Imagine just your name being that powerful. That's, that's oh, crazy. I know. That's mm. demigod mm. status. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. Well,
2: that's the way it works. I mean, a lot of times you see, you know, Martin Scorsese's name on a movie. He doesn't really have much to do with it, but he believes in it. Mm-hmm. And his name on it, people will say, oh, yeah, that's a Martin Scorsese movie. Yeah, so well, his name's on it, but he didn't direct
0: it. see yes, he did. You know, yeah, you get there. You see that with Steven Spielberg as well. Steven Spielberg presents. No, he didn't direct yeah. it though. Yeah. <laughs> was, that's I why he
1: has two hundred and fifty credits. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's gone, da da, brilliant. And um, so, another another two movies that you've done that uh, we're big fans of is the Fr- next Friday, the sequel to Friday and Friday after uh-huh. next. So this, I mean, this is a bit different from the Philadelphia experiment and Friday versus bit. Jason for sure. Uh, what was yeah. it like kind of jumping into that kind of movie is, is they laugh out loud, hilarious, um, but the you, you, you become, you come to love these characters that are in these movies and then already it was established with Friday. So you were kind of, and you, you came on in the second one. Um, is there a reason you didn't start on the, the first Friday?
2: Uh, I had not made any films for New Line at that point. And that oh, was, right, yeah. that was, that was, that was a very, even though New Line financed it, it was a very, very low budget film. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a half half a million dollars. So yeah. uh, it was, a, it was, I think it was Cube's first script that he sold. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was so popular, not in theaters, mm. but it sold so many VHS copies that they said we got to we got to follow us up, mm. and that's why they made Next Friday. And I had just done a movie called The Wood, which was another story about uh, with some great black characters. And the producers of that movie recommended me to New Line to produce uh, Next Friday. I met with producers and the director, and it just it just it was just a godsend. Mm. We all liked each other immediately, and uh, that was one of the most fun movies I've ever made. Talk <laughs> about la- that was truly laugh out loud. Yeah, I mean, every all day right. on set, everyone was laughing out loud. Some, some, sometimes to the point that
0: the the DP would have to say, hey, guys, guys, come on. <laughs> you know. And, uh, Do you know it, the, the thing I, is about Ice Cube, I mean, you look at him in things like uh, Boys in the Hood, and even back in his days with NWE and, and Solo yeah. Artists, would you think that that guy was going to be good at comedy? Never. You know, no, Never. it was just such a bolt out of the blue. Is mm-hmm. But what he, rea-
2: he realizes is he's still not, you can't say he's good at comedy. He's good as being a straight man in comedies. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mike Epps is the funny guy of those movies. And Mike Epps yeah. is, I mean, he's genius. <laughs> but Cube knew exactly how to write those movies, and he mm. he was every decision made on an Ice Cube movie is made by him. Mm. He writes them, he produces them, he hires the director, he casts them. Every decision and everything that happens is his decision, except the decisions I have to make. He doesn't want anything to do with making (laughs) production decisions. He just knows that's why he liked me. He knew that at the end of the day that we were going to get through the day with everything we needed. It was going to be well done and he could move on to the next sequel. Uh, Mm. But they were fun to make. I think all about the Benjamin was the most fun. Yeah, we did it. We did it in Miami, in Miami, most of it in South beach. Talk about favorite locations. (laughs) And, uh, it was a trip. I think the. if you haven't seen that one, check it out. Yeah,
0: but do you know what? You know, I was right yeah.
2: <laughs> about six months ago, somehow it got up to number two on Netflix oh, top 10 list.
1: Nice,
2: I think I don't know why, but several of his Next Friday did too.
1: Mm. People love Which, this, and yeah, like the last time we saw, and these are stoner movies, right? What we refer to <laughs> as stoner movies, they're brilliant movies, but they're they definitely appeal to your friends that are stoners, which are a lot of my friends, J Mac excluded, right? Well, but the thing is, I think pineapple express was the last time we've seen a good stoner movie. Do you think, and, and, and I, I would love this. I think everybody would. Do you think ice cube would make another Friday movie?
2: Oh, there's a lot of talk about it. There's um, a lot of talk. Yeah.
1: That would be amazing. There was one that came out next Sunday. He'd made, and I was like, "Could this be?" But what? It was nothing to do with the, the franchise. And I was like, oh. "It was called Next Sunday." Next Sunday, yeah. That was.
2: I didn't. I didn't yeah. see it. I've
1: never even heard of it. But it's it's nothing to do with it, with that franchise. It just so happens to be yeah. an Ice Cube movie. Um, and I thought that I thought that was it. Um, it would be pretty cool to see Mike Epps and Chris Tucker and Ice Cube <laughs> back. You oh. know, could you imagine uh, if, <laughs> if Smokey came out and he's like, "No." reformed like and trying no. to better his life <laughs>
2: no i can't imagine it it'd be funny
1: though <laughs>
2: it,
0: it, it, it,
1: there's, there's <laughs> definitely grounds there yeah it's like you know when um in the fast and furious you had vin diesel and paul walker and then in the mm-hmm. second one it wasn't it was then tyrese gibson and paul walker and then when mm-hmm. you got to four you seen them all together there was something magic about that oh and yeah I think, I think that that's that could be a great idea for the for like A fourth installment, but that Friday, I kind of I came across that movie uh, when I was I I had seen it late. I I was I was kicking myself I hadn't seen it sooner, Uh, and then that introduced me to stuff like How High and Don't Drink Your Juice and South Central and all that stuff. (laughs) Just proper like like we call them stoner movies, but they're they're brilliant because they're they're they seem real. The characters are all very. Very much someone you know. <laughs> well,
2: Next Friday was such a crossover movie too, though. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have to be a stoner to like that movie.
1: Oh, no. Mm. No, yeah. no, absolutely not. It's Most of the, the audience are not stoners. Like, for me, right. I'm not a stoner at all. And I love stoner movies. Um, yeah. And they're held as royalty to actual <laughs> stoners. <laughs> I, yeah. I've got a friend who had an alien. <laughs> it's an alien with a Jamaican hat and a big... <laughs> <laughs> he used to sit like this yeah. guy in his room, and movies yeah, like that dude. were always on in his house. And that is, yeah. it always reminds you of a good time. You never have a bad time watching a movie like that, whether you're yeah. high or not. Uh, so I absolutely, I absolutely loved that. Um, so with that kind of thing, what was it like working with Ice Cube? Because at this point, he'd kind of made some movies. At this point, and he's he's there. Superstar. Were, were you, were you, he's a superstar. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was there. Were you surprised as to how creative he was when he when you started working with him, or?
2: Somewhat, because I didn't know him. I mean, mm-hmm. I had no idea how much how much behind he was of all those movies and how, mm-hmm. what involvement he had. But he's he was everything. I mean, he created the franchise and he he ran them.
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: he's uh, you know, after I worked for him two days, I was not surprised. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about working with him, Ice Cube, what you see is what you get with Ice Cube. He's exactly mm-hmm. that character. Mm-hmm. He walks out of his trailer that's who he is he steps in front of the camera that's who he is he's got a he's created a persona that he will never change I and mean, it has been very mm-hmm. successful for him and
0: that's the mm-hmm. way it works he's got the yeah. most yeah. iconic angry face I've ever seen on a human he film. does it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's great. I would never be like I'd never like to be the guy that has to say <laughs> hey hey I and I, people I love could, that maybe, maybe Could we change maybe this <laughs> no yes. I, I don't no, want to no. be that guy I'm, I'm staying no, away from no, no. those eyebrows j <laughs> yeah. you've
1: got the exact same facial hair as, as Ice Cube does
0: no I don't think it's quite as refined as his um, he, he's but... got, yeah, got some <laughs> uh, thing. Yeah. there's, there's many differences between Ice Cube and me <laughs> uh-huh. yeah I, I,
1: see a, I see a few <laughs> <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> so Chris Tucker obviously at that point were you involved in trying to cast Chris Tucker or had it already been established that he was now going, uh, going with the Rush Hour series? Chris uh, Chris Tucker, for some reason, didn't want to do the next one. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why. And then I, Rush I had, Hour happened yeah, and it was such read, a huge franchise. Mm-hmm. I had read online that he declined it because at this point he was trying to, he, he would become a born-again Christian and wanted oh, to... I didn't hear that. Yeah, I mean, it might not be true, but um, it's, it's it, online, it must be true. No, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't know if it's true, but then it, I think he was faced with Russia or next Friday. Like, and this is what it had said on his IMDb profile. And then he, he had decided to go with Rush Hour and follow that franchise as a, opposed to the Friday because he wanted to get away from that. But, well, let's look at it, actually. Has Chris Tucker gone back to playing, you know, how do you get fired on your day off? <laughs> like, has yes, he gone... That's good,
0: man. <laughs> I spent a lot of time watching these movies. <laughs> I <so>. Mine mine's <laughs> is better, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, He
2: hasn't seen... gone back. No, um,
1: we haven't. Uh, so I suppose that... And rush Hour was a
2: huge success. I mean, absolutely. think about it. You had the choice yeah. between doing Next Friday and Rush Hour. Mm. At that time, you would have said,
0: uh, okay, Rush Hour. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it was pretty clear to him. Yeah. Uh, one, well, actually, just a, a little fond Rush Hour memory. You no, know, At the end of every one of them, they show the the <laughs> outtakes. My favourite one is where the guy falls off the building and dies, and Christopher goes, "Whoa." You can go and be in Rush Hour Three. <laughs> <laughs> that was, of my eighties, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, anyways anyway, than... enough about other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's uh, I love it. I love, uh, and I'm, I'm glad. Next Friday and Friday after next exists because when I first seen Friday, I thought it was just a movie, and then I seen there was two sequels, I was like, yes. Three sequels. Well, two. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I. All well, about the Benjamins might as well be a sequel.
0: Yes, I need to see that. I need to see. Yes. that. Now. I, I went to it watch out. it the other day. I just Dude, never I got
3: hadn't. A I hadn't
0: even. You'll, heard you'll, it. you'll hadn't enjoy heard it. Of it. I guarantee you. I mm-hmm. hadn't heard of it until I was uh, reading your your seminar stuff. I said, watched one bad. scene.
1: Um, I watched one scene, and then I had to turn it off because I had other stuff to do, and it was. Ice Cube breaking through the door and the guys burned a hole in his money and he looks and the Ice Cube's like read motherfucker. Oh, it's just a lot of fun. That's a movie that you'll enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I can't wait to actually watch yeah. that. that's going on my idea. list. That's going on my list. <laughs> um, I've got a, another question here from Heather Dow. Can you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> that's just,
0: a, it's Chris Tucker. Chris Christopher. Christopher.
1: Oh, love Chris Tucker. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. Brilliant. Um, so we're going to talk about another movie that you had done in 2004. This, for me, I had thought I'd seen it before, but I rewatched it and was like, hmm, I vaguely remember, but I'm glad I rewatched it. Cellular. Now, just looking at that DVD cover, y- you look at that and assume that it's just... An action movie, but it's so much more than that. It has the elements of, like I'd said to you previously, like Imagine American Pie meets uh, an action movie with a bit of suspense and thriller. Would you agree with that? That would be quite accurate to say that.
2: Yeah. It, it, I, I never thought the cover sold the movie very well. Uh, it makes uh, it look very so dramatic. much more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: do, do you it is it dramatic. But there's producer. so much more to it. Mm-hmm. But as a producer, do you do you ever get a say in how the the marketing is done in regards to the poster and stuff like that? No, no. As a line producer, no. Right. Okay. That's what
2: the producer does. The
0: creative producers mm-hmm. have all the say in that. Yeah. Ah. Because it see. looks too. It looks too serious. It's I know, that, that, serious. It, it looks well, very serious. Uh, yeah, it, it is. is. There's, there's elements of it that I think, it, for me, they came across as as quite funny. It's like again, dark dark humor and William H Macy as the kind of action hero at the end. Like I, I love, I oh, love yeah. that. Stuff. No, I know.
2: And Chris yeah. Evans
0: is great in it. I mean, that that's I, first I ever, I never
2: heard of Chris Evans before that movie. Yeah, I was but he guy. was terrific actor and
1: such a good kid. I mean, yeah, he's a
2: good human being.
1: That's pretty cool. I mean, I I instantly was like yes because I had noticed that. Eric, Christian, Olsen, and Chris yeah. Evans was in this. And one of my all-time favorite movies is Not our Teen Movie, which is like a spoof <laughs> on teen movies. And yeah. they're both in it, All right. So when you hired Chris, did, did Eric come as a, a recommendation or did you, was it just so happened that it was just by chance? You know, I had very little to do with
2: casting the movie. Mm, you know, As a line producer, I, I'm glad when casting like that happens, but that happens in... You know, I'm I'm in a different location when that's
1: happening. Mm, I see. Uh, um, I what, looking at the, the the cover. I did think I was coming to something a bit different, but when I watched it, I was, you know, I was fairly entertained. I really enjoyed the movie. Chris Evans is great. I thought he was brilliant yeah. in it. Um, th- so there's a who's who. Like every every actor you see in there, you're like, I've seen him in something. Yeah. I've seen her in something. Jason the, Statham. I mean, he, mm-hmm. had, he, had, he had a great is, cast. Yep, there's uh, Jessica Biel. There's there's, and again the parent from Not Another Teen Movie. Because for me, right when I saw Captain America, I was like, "Oh, there's Jake <laughs> from Not Another yeah. Teen Movie." <laughs> I would only known him as Jake, and that that's for me will always be where he's from. Eh? So it was great. It was great to see that. Um, cellular was that something that you were approached for, or did you did you find the script for that, and you were like, "Let's make this." No, that was uh, that was New Line,
2: and mm. they. But I did know the director. He, he was. I lived in Malibu. He lived in Malibu. We had become very good friends. We actually went to the same gym together, uh, and remained my best friend till the day he died. Unfortunately, But, uh. you know, when when they when they when they got the screenplay, he had just done Final Destination Two, mm-hmm. which to this day I think is the best Final Destination. And hundred percent, a hundred percent. They always have directors have some say in who who they want to line produce it. And he wanted me, and I was, I was so happy to get the job because it was—I've never had so much fun. Mm. Yeah,
1: it was—it was, it was definitely yeah. something. Was there any—was there any big challenges in regards? Oh, to- everything was a challenge. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, you know, we shot last 15 minutes and in the first 10 minutes, all take place on the Santa Monica Pier, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. getting that Santa Monica Pier—you know—all those vendors to say. Okay yeah, you can shoot and I'll close down my business. Unbelievably <laughs> difficult. Yeah. So no, it's, it was it was all tough. And all, and all the action was on the streets of
0: LA. So we had to shut down a lot of LA part of it, and much of it right downtown LA. Hmm. So how, how far in advance do you have to organize that with the, the set? Oh, a long time, long time. I think we had uh, you know we didn't have
2: an extraordinary amount of prep on that I think and we had two two and a half months. But it was enough, you know. Mm-hmm. Particularly when a director knows exactly what he wants, which David Ellis always did. Mm-hmm. And we had a location manager who'd been doing it for forty years and knew L.A. like the back of his hand. So it takes time, but you just you just got to bring in all, all the top guns and make it happen. Yeah,
1: that's that's incredible. Do you think um, that genre as well, like having that high school kid? Because that's what he is, he's in, he's in high school. I always thought Chris Evans looks a lot older than than he was when he was playing these characters. Um, do you think that genre? Because we don't see that anymore. We don't see the, like, American Pie and stuff, we don't see that much anymore. And we don't see, like, movies now, Fast and Furious, they're all action movies where people with SWAT guns and stuff, it's not like your everyday kid that goes to school. No. That happens to come across something. That's already going on and get involved and mixed up in it do you think that it would be cool to see that nowadays i think it would i just i think it's just
2: like everything else in movies it's just gone a different way mm-hmm. you know everybody wants everybody wants cg they want mm. they want big characters they want you know they want everything but that kind of movie that's almost too traditional now
0: yeah i wish they'd come back yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. I had a, I've got very fun movies. A, a film that I used to love when I was a kid. I, it's quite. It's little known over here. I don't know how well known it is in the states, but uh, over here it was called Teen Agent. Um, I think uh, it, it, over there it's called If Looks Could Kill. It's Richard Grieco, um, yeah. and he's a, a high school student that, that ends up being mistaken for a spy. And it's just, it's just really, it's really good fun. And uh, yeah, I wish movies like that would come back again, where it's, mm. where it's the. The kind of hapless the hapless youth that gets involved in international espionage <laughs> these these things are just they're just fun to watch um uh, obviously cellular is more of a, a kidnapping thing but yeah uh, it's uh yeah a lot I mean, of elements I, to also I love things that are against the clock you know yeah you know, I do too I love yeah. I love clicking talk movies yeah it just mm-hmm. it, it adds clicking an clock element, movies. element of suspense is there from you know, fifteen yeah. minutes in, bang! You are, yeah. you are in, you are in that with the ticking clock, and I, I love that. I think it can be used. It can be overdone, like you know, cutting the wire when the bomb's got one second left to go and stuff like that. But I think it's no. I think it's, it's no, something... I think it was, that's a great genre. I just saw a movie called The Vault. It's mm-hmm. uh, shot in Spain with
2: um, oh, what's his name? He's the actor. He's the actor and a good doctor. He's British. Uh,
1: guy his
2: name uh, escapes me. Nicholas Hoult. No, um, uh, was, but I check know. it out, Devault. J- just check the, the cast, and it's I uh, it right now. It is one of
0: the best oh. clicking talk.
2: Oh, Freddie talk Highmore! I always
0: mix the. Highmore. I always mix yeah. two up. Nicholas Holt yeah. and Freddie Highmore. I, I don't know why I mix them up, but I always do. No, he's yeah. great in it. He doesn't. He doesn't. He plays a genius in this one, but he doesn't
2: play a retarded genius or anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's the wrong word. I mean, he, he plays—he plays a flat-out genius who just come out of Oxford, yeah. and he solves a way to rob a bank. Um, it's a great—it's a great heist movie and a great ticking clock movie. So check
0: it out. Yeah, bring Definitely. them back. Bring them all back. <laughs>
1: yeah. One that everyone needs to check out if they haven't already, which I'm sure most people have. Um and this is the last kind of movie we're going to chat about before we get to Freddy versus Jason is Shoot 'em Up in 2007. <laughs> now, I saw I saw the promotional stuff for this and I'm sure I saw it years ago, but I revisited it again recently. Um Shoot 'em up it doesn't on, on from what I saw in the promotion, it doesn't like i say i don't think the the images and how i kind of viewed it gives justice to what it is and how much actual real creativity goes on in, in that movie um shoot him up for you was that the, so I, I know a bit about the the background here the director actually and i, I want to know if you actually saw this apparently the director had sketched like scene by scene like hundreds of different sketches and put it together on iMovie so that the movie could visually be seen. Is that something you got to to look at when you got involved oh, in the project?
2: That's how the project got made. He, he
1: he came Michael Davis is the director and he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. He came out
2: of the storyboard world. That's what he's that's what his day job was. Right. Yeah. He'd made three ultra low budget comedies, which you know you, you look at shoot 'em up, you say, how could he have done that? Mm. but he put together, he, he storyboarded every action scene in the movie and he had 16,000 storyboards, put it into an animatic that was about 10 minutes long, took it to new line. Bob Shea saw it and said, let's make this movie. That's how it got made. I think you can see it online. If you, if you can, you'll be blown away. Mm-hmm. I,
1: I, no. I saw clips of it. Yeah. And it was just like, what you. it's like a take on me video. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Almost it was I mean incredible. it's talk about a comic
2: book movie. Yeah, there was no comic no. book called Shoot em Up, but that, it was done <laughs> like a comic book movie. Every yeah, yeah. single every single frame in that movie was storyboarded. Mm-hmm. Um, and every sh- every shot we did had a storyboard that went with it. Mm-hmm. You know, when we were pre when we were pre-production, we had I had this this was when I realized you need a lot of pre-production for a film like this. We had 14 weeks. And the first six weeks we found all our locations and then we broke for Christmas and everybody came back to LA. And when we came back, we had eight weeks just to prep the movie. And every day of that eight weeks, Michael had what he called school, S K O O L where, you know, the production designer, the DP, the visual effects supervisor, me, the first AD, uh, would go into a conference room and Michael on a whiteboard, would say, "Okay, this is what happens in this scene," and he would draw it. And he would say, "This is the angle. This is what the this is what the this is what the actor sees." And the DP would be writing. Peter Powell was a DP, by the way, who won the mm-hmm. Academy Award for *Crouching Tiger*. Mm-hmm. Uh, most brilliant DP I ever worked with. He made notes. At the end of each one of those notes, he went back. He diagrammed each of those scenes, figured out the lighting for each one of those scenes, so that by the time we started shooting that movie, every single scene was pre-lit, and every single scene we'd walk on a stage or a location, we just take a storyboard. All the storyboards were on a corkboard by the director's chair, so everybody could see. Here's shot one. Here's shot two. Here's shot three. It was like doing just shooting a puzzle. It was unbelievable.
1: That's insane. And we did
2: it. We shot the movie in what eleven weeks, fifty-five days, and uh,
0: finished a week ahead, a day ahead of schedule. That's how, that's how well planned it was. I think one one thing. thing, Sorry, one thing. A movie like this, uh, one thing it needs for me is a good bad guy, and Paul Giamatti in this (laughs) movie is an absolute delight. Yeah. Bad guys can go one way or the other. They, they have to go so bad that you absolutely detest them, or they have to be slightly likable because they're so bad. And I think I think he is—he's a likable, deviant, horrible guy. <laughs> he's, he's, he's deviant for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, no. he was great, and he, he's another guy that what you see is what you get. Paul yeah. Giamatti is exactly like he seems on screen. That's his <laughs> character. He walks in. He's Paul Giamatti. Turn on the camera. He's Paul Giamatti. <laughs> It's, it's, <laughs> it's a great privilege to work with him. Yeah. And he's, Clive he's Owen, a... oh, my God. Mm-hmm. He, I never worked with somebody as prepared or, as, to to my mind, as brilliant as he is.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, he would come in with a seven-page monologue, and the director would say, could we try a little version, another version of that, a little slightly different? He would give you a seven-page different version. <laughs> never, never miss a line. Totally different, whole different deal. Mm-hmm. Every day of every shooting day, he did that, and I just, I had such respect for him.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. he back in two thousand and seven, he was really at the at the height of his popularity as well with things like uh, Sin City and Shoot 'Em Up as well. I mean, I think that added to his popularity. There was talk of him being James Bond for for yeah. some time as well, and I I, I personally think he would have been great at it, but it just didn't. Come to fruition, I can tell but... you why, he,
2: one of the reasons he could not have been a great James Bond, he couldn't run. He was, I'm kind of speaking out of school here, but <laughs> he, he, he his feet were kind of like this. So when he ran, he, he, you know how James Bond's got to run, and he's got to run like, like all the like actors. Tom, the like Tom Cruise. and like Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. <laughs> Clive could not do that.
1: Otherwise, really? he would
2: have been the best James Bond of all time. Mm, shit. Even in <laughs> even in shoot him up, shoot him up. We had, you know, a lot of the stunts were just beyond what any actor could do. <laughs> so we we face replaced him for many of those scenes,
1: mm. which is a whole different story. It's a whole different conversation. Wow. I noticed the what I like about it as well as the way that he uses his gun. <clears throat> Like he's very artistic with the gun. In yeah. To shooting signs to to say something. He uses this gun to shoot the file cabinet and it smacks a guy in the face. Yeah. That he kills. I like, him. I sure. like the, right?
0: the 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 roundabout carousel. Roundabout I don't know what yeah. what you guys call it over
1: there, but it was, it was all shooting. Michael
0: Davis. <laughs> but, and, it's amazing.
1: Was it his idea to get Paul Giamatti to group the dead corpse? <laughs> oh, of course.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. For the, sure. It was said that uh in, in theaters people cheered when he died. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <coughs> well, it was inevitable, right? <laughs> right. <Absolutely. laughs> he's got he's gotta
0: die. He's, he's a horrible yeah, horrible guy. You, you gotta kill this guy.
1: <laughs> I like it as well how no one really knows uh, anything about Clive Owens character. They they're just watch they know his name's Smith. He's there, he gets caught up in something, does what he needs to do, and that's it. There's there's you don't you know, it kind of reminds you of like an old western. The guy's just there, deals there's with stuff. There's a little bit
2: of exposition about it in the middle of the film, mm. but it goes by so fast that most people mm. miss it.
1: Mm. Yeah. Mm. Need to be I thought, again. I always thought there's a, there's a story behind that carrot. <laughs> yeah. we, we, I never knew that story. <laughs> I'm not sure Michael
2: Davis knows that
1: story. <laughs> I really, I, I, I liked, I really liked shoot 'em up. It's again yeah. one of those really, really fun movies. Is there any really funny stories on set that you had filming? I can imagine there have been something. Oh that you God! All... Every every
2: day was yeah. every day was a challenge, but every day was fun because the actors were so so willing to do anything. Hmm. Um, even Monica Bellucci. I mean, whatever you wanted her to do, she'd do it. Mm. Uh, but there were so many things that, you know, when we were in prep, I just think, how do you possibly do this? Like there's a scene where he, he comes down a rope from his, from the top to the bottom of this warehouse, killing how many people I can't even remember with an AK. Mm. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, I don't know. We may have to modify this. We didn't. (laughs) We figured it out. Our uh, our stunt our stunt director I mean our product our our stunt coordinator and second unit director was brilliant and
0: Peter Powell always figured out a way to do it. it there was, there was a movie a movie that I watched recently that that had a similar feel to to that movie was a movie called Polar. Uh, so it's on Netflix. Brilliant it's, movie. Uh, Mads Mickelson. and it mm-hmm. had that it had that kind of comic book feel to it. Uh, What's in it? Um, polar, p o l a r, polar. P-O-L-A-R. Yeah. polar. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so you've got Mads Mikkelsen. I think Johnny Knoxville shows up in the first five minutes as well. Uh, he doesn't last very long. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it's just it, it's a crazy, a crazy shoot 'em up style movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it's it's totally along the same line. Same line. I got to check it out. Yes, yeah, yeah. it's, it's little, little tongue, tongue in cheek, but quite shocking at places as well, and it, it, it really hits the mark. It's 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 still on Netflix, so it's, it's worth checking out if you hmm. if you have a spare minute and you're busy. Oh, I will for sure.
1: Uh, very very fun. So we are at the point now where we're ready to talk about the meat, um, which is Freddy versus Jason. For us, this is this is a has been well anticipated. It's something we always talk about on this show is how good that movie was. So I can't wait to get into that way. I'm just going to play a short clip here to remind everybody about how good that movie is.
3: <laughs> to find
2: Out of control if it's a fight
1: Man, I want to watch it again. I want to watch it again. <laughs> Such good fun. Mate, yeah. it's good fun, If if I would say to anybody, like, see, if I met someone tomorrow and they were like, never seen any Nightmare on Elm Street movie, never ever seen any, uh, never ever seen any Friday Thirteenth. I always I always hesitate to call it Friday Thirteenth because I always think of that as the original one with Pamela Voorhees as the killer. But um, I'd never seen a movie with Jason in it. I would suggest them. Um, specific movies to watch, and that would be the crescendo. That would be the crescendo moment as Freddy versus Jason. For you getting this role uh, as a line producer on this movie, for you, you must have known, right, this is something completely different here. What was that like getting told this is your project?
2: Oh, my God. I can't even express to you what I felt the minute I read the screenplay. Mm. Uh, by that time, I'd, only made, I'd made three movies for New Line. They were all Ice Cube movies. But Ice Cube... <laughs> New Line liked me a lot because they knew I I could pretty much do anything if they gave me a script. And there was a production executive there who I liked very much. And she called me right after we did next Friday after next, and said, "I got a script, Doug. I'm not like anything you've done before, but check it out. See what you think." I read the script, and my first thought was. I can't possibly do this film. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it was just overwhelming. Mm. Uh, I spent about a half an hour, an hour, I thought, I'll figure out how to do this film. I called her back, and I said, yeah, I'd love to make it. And it was a a journey from then for the next year. It was Mm. unbelievable. But what a journey.
1: Well, I mean, I think from Freddie... The first time I can, it, as fans, we always had rumblings that there was going to be a Freddy versus Jason. They kind of confirmed that. I think it was uh, New Line Cinema had brought out Jason Goes to Hell, which yeah. at the very end of it, at the yeah. very end of it, um, even here, look at this, look at this, right, at the end of it, even in the wow. even in the cover art, it's it's hinted upon. Right, so they they were feeding us, they were they were preparing us for Freddy versus Jason. It was one of those comic book lores. We'd love to see it, and then right at the very end, Kane Hodder, the only man ever to play Freddy and Jason in the same movie, his hand comes out as Freddy grabs Jason's mask and pulls it through the sand, and then you hear that that Freddy laugh. I was oh. like, <laughs> here we go, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so that had me ready for it. And I think this was some way it, we were always hearing. Uh, oh, it's going to happen, they're doing it. now, nah, they're not going to do it. It'll never happen. It's going to happen. New Line have bought rights to Jason. Now, I know from reading the book, which I know you've read yourself, Doug, has not you, Slash of the Titans by yeah. by Dustin, who will be coming on the show at some point. Um, That book is very insightful in regards to how much went into that, in regards to New Line had bought, they had purchased the rights to use Jason Voorhees, but not the rights to use Friday the 13th. Which is why we've got Jason Goes to Hell and Jason X, because if I'm right in thinking, New Line had contractually to put out Jason movies, and because it took so long for Freddy versus Jason, they had to kind of segue off and make these other movies. Um, did you were you privy to any of this these conversations while working with New Line? No, Paramount, uh, Paramount
2: actually owned the the Jason uh, franchise.
1: Right. So it was New
2: Line and Paramount had to get together and figure out how right. to do this. And Sean Cunningham, of course, is a big factor in that because he created Elm Street. I mean, uh, Jason.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, it took a long, as you know from the book, it took 10 years just to come up with a screenplay. that finally got made. So by the time I was involved, the screenplay was
0: finished
3: mm-hmm. and
0: everybody was happy with it. And off we went to make it.
3: Do, you, do to, you find
0: that when studios come together, is it is there a lot of kind of button heads at the beginning, or do they come together with a vision that they're going to create something? Or... No, they never they never have a vision. It's all about <laughs> I, it's all about the money. Ah, uh, it's the the, yeah. the numbers. Do you know, it's, it's yeah. something that I never appreciated or never even thought about. Probably until I was in my early to mid twenties was the fact that movies, although they're made to entertain, there's a massive business behind it that that is just probably oh. probably second at times um i mean what i mean what's been the, the kind of worst experiences you've you've had in, in in the industry and trying to bring people together or you know just trying to get something made but it's just giving you nothing but headaches
2: you know i haven't had too many of those experiences to, to tell you the truth um uh, you know i got into line producing fairly early in my career which meant i was a i was a producer for hire mm. uh, so You know, one of the reasons I got into line producing as as opposed to producing is I just got tired of trying to get, you know, somebody to say yes to a movie. It's it's almost it's the hardest thing you can do. You find a screenplay. You love it. You say, okay, somebody's going to like this movie. You take it out. You knock on a lot of doors. You take it to studios. Finding somebody that actually likes it as much as you do is, you know, it's like a million in one. Yeah. So it's tough. But fortunately for me, I, I did not have to,
3: I didn't have
0: to go through much of that. No, that's, that's, that's impressive. I mean, considering the, the length of your career, it's, it's almost a miracle that you've not really had any. Uh, yeah, it is. I feel very fortunate.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: so... I was initially going to ask you how many different versions of the script you had read, but I suppose when they brought you in, that was go time. So you kind of managed to miss a lot, am I right in saying miss a lot of the original script rights?
2: Oh, there, there pretty much was go time when I got involved. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of rewriting done in pre-production. I mean, a lot. Because yeah. it was never a perfect script, and everybody had their own ideas, Every the executive on it and you know, the writers were not on it from the time we started production. They were kind of out of the picture. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there was a lot of that, but the basic story didn't change. The concept didn't change. The production, the production possibilities and, and, you know, all of the difficulties didn't change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we only had 10 weeks to prep the film. So they couldn't change much. Yeah. They couldn't say, okay, we want to add a new sequence, which they tried a couple of times. And I just said, no, God.
1: too late right. to do that. See, I think that's what it needed it, was someone just to go, ah, no, no. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's,
0: that's so my job. That was <laughs> a, a question I had written down for you was uh, something that uh, I, I read it in some of the, the notes I was reading in preparation for this. Uh, having to bruise people's egos every now and again, um, but I mean, how does it feel to have to be that guy that has to kind of go no we're, we're not doing that or you know just shooting something down um, telling somebody no I mean what's what's is it difficult or do you find you're just like no this is business head let's it's go it's kind of a fine art to
2: tell you the truth what you learn early on as a line producer is you never say no you always say you always say let's find a different way to do it <laughs> yeah because you know, if you say no, I learned early on, if you say no to somebody, you've lost them for the rest of the movie. They don't want to hear no, particularly really creative people. So I always try to find a way to say, well, we can't do it that way. But how about if we do it this way? You know. Right. The only time I say no is when somebody says, uh, we need to go. I need another angle on this shot or I need this variation or I need that. I'm a director. I know they don't need that shot. And we're already into you know, the 12th hour of the day, or when somebody says, I think we're going to have to come back tomorrow to get this. That's when I say no. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, those are the kind of decisions that are not hard to make, but the other decisions about, can we do this or do that? You always want to say, well, right now it's not, it's not possible for do it to do it like that, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: but we can find another way to do it. That might be just as good. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's what I do.
2: That's, that's always
1: been my methodology.
2: Yeah, you,
3: you,
1: sometimes you, it works. Most of the time, it works. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of the the greatest qualities to have as a people person and a very. Well, oh, you have you have to have that.
2: if You're going to succeed as a line producer.
1: Yeah, you hear you hear stories of people like producers and directors on set screaming and shouting. I mean, we've seen the old Christian Bale actor and Tom Cruise. I love that clip. <laughs> and he's not
2: he, that's not the way he is by the way. Wow. That, that was just that was a guy dealing with a lot of incompetence around him and he just blew up.
1: Yeah. So, and hmm. then, can you understand this, the pressures and the struggles as someone that's always on the set? Do you do you understand where he was coming from? Yes, I do. I absolutely do. Uh,
2: he had a cameraman wandering around with his light meter in the middle of a very intense scene and the director talking to
0: somebody else behind him and he just he just blew up. He said, "That's, that's not the way we do things." You know, this is this is again is a problem with things that are presented to the public out with the situation they're actually in. The public jump on the bandwagon of oh, what mm-hmm. an asshole, what a tip, yeah, whatever. But I, at the end of the day, these people are trying to do a job that somebody right. is stopping them from doing as good as they can, mm-hmm. and yeah, th- things get heated, things get you kind know, of. I mean, it, I, I can't imagine how I would feel if somebody was was getting in the way of me doing what I'm trying to do. No, um, you get it if somebody's eyeline is an actor,
2: yeah, particularly Christian Bale's, who's a great actor, and somebody's mm. got the audacity to bring their light meter over in front of you and look like they don't even care what you're doing or why you're there. Mm. You, there's not an actor in the world that's not going to do exactly what he did. Mm. Yeah, so I, I that is that's that's. Uh,
0: he got a really bad rap for something that he should have done exactly what he did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That. yeah. I feel um, the same way about Tom Cruise's recent kind of outburst. Yeah. Out, outburst. He, I mean, even that the outburst, it wasn't an outburst. Well, no, he was, was
2: just telling like it was, guys, put on a mask or you're fired. Yeah. I mean, it was he, as simple as that. He was mm-hmm. trying to keep the he, movie He was trying going. to take care of the movie and, and, the, and the crew. Mm-hmm. No, those things happen, and they never are seen from the point of view...
0: Of somebody like me who knows what happened and understands why they happened. yeah you know? i think i think it's another reflection of the, the 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 current generation that we happen to be dealing with <laughs> but that yeah. that's just me that's another story <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah so so what with even in line of what we we're just kind of saying there were there any big challenges for you on this i mean this this was a obviously it's a, it's a big movie and it's not you're not only up against your usual kind of challenges this is freddie versus jason you've got the the backlash of the not there's not there wasn't any backlash but you've got the possibility of that if everything isn't you know done the way it it can be best for you was there any real big challenges that you kind of came up against where you were like right this is you know i've not kind of faced this challenge on set or even pre-production post-production
2: you know, every day on that movie was a, was a challenge,
1: mm. every day.
2: But, but, I, but we – Ronnie surrounded himself with a crew that was unbelievable, and I, and I had a lot to do with that. But we had people like Fred Murphy, who was the DP, and, and John Willard, who was the production designer. And, I mean, these guys are brilliant, brilliant. I mean, John Willett is almost as much responsible for this movie visually
3: mm.
2: as anybody else. I mean, he, for instance, just to show you what, how lacking the screenplay was in telling us what to do and where to go. That boiler room scene, you know how complicated that is and what mm. happens, all of the action that happened. On the page, you come to that scene and it says, this is the day, Clash of the Titans, period. There's a little dialogue. I mean, the dialogue's all there, but it has no description about what happens or what they're doing. Has no description of the room, no description of anything else. So mm-hmm. in pre-production of that movie, we had meetings just like we did on Shoot em Up every day of every week for hours at a time, and we'd just concentrate on one sequence, like a boiler room or Jason's World or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah. everybody would say, Well, what if we did this? What if this? How about this? Literally, it was that, that kind of spitball sessions every day.
1: And John Willard
2: would invariably be the one that would go back, and he'd come back and he'd say, okay, I figured it out. How about this? Hmm. And it would usually be that. Uh-huh. But then everybody had to make that work. Fred Murphy had to shoot it, and, and the visual effects supervisor had to make it happen, and stunt coordinator had to make it happen. I mean, it was a collaboration. Those kind of movies, the kind of movies we've been talking about, are total collaborations. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to be their best, and you've got to surround yourself with the best because yeah. it's it maybe called a director's medium, and it is because it's his vision at the end of the day, but he's surrounding himself with people that are just as talented in their own right as he is yeah. or she is. So, it's I mean. on the
0: on a, a kind of personal side of things, did, I mean, did you spend much time um, talking to or, or, or being with uh, Robert England? I met the guy one time um, at a comic con, and, and he was the nice, <laughs> one of the nicest encounters I've ever had with a, a human being in my life. The guy, he, I, I'd paid, I'd paid to have an autograph. Okay, you know how these things work. I paid to have an autograph, and when I got up, I said, "Listen, I, I know I shouldn't do this, but is there any chance my..." girlfriend can take a, a photo yeah. and, and he, he was like yeah no problem and his handler or his manager was like yeah, you can't, you can't do that and he went fuck yeah. that I'm taking a picture and <laughs> I, I love that about it he, he, was, he just seemed so down to earth and like he's just one of the nicest people I've ever met in these kind of situations mm. well that's the yeah. way he is on set I yeah. mean he, he what you see and what you saw that's
2: exactly the way he was on set every day every hour uh, and there were days, you know, the, the brilliant thing about both both these concepts, Freddy and Jason, is that the characters were created and could wear a mask, so stunt doubles could do most of the action, and you wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. The difference with Robert England and Freddy Krueger is that he had a great stunt double who did all of the, the big action sequences, but you couldn't cut into a close-up. With the, with the stunt double because mm-hmm. you didn't have Robert England's eyes, he, you know, even though they weren't his eyes, you didn't have his, there was a something about his, his persona that he created that was without it. Freddie didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And there were days, honestly, where he worked 24 hours a day. Because the way we worked on Freddie versus Jason is that we'd work 24 hours, we'd work 12 hours. And then the, the at night, the second unit would shoot 12 hours. But Ronnie, I mean, uh England would be in makeup for four hours before he even got to set. Wow. And that meant four hours in the chair and then 12 hours of shooting and two hours of getting out of makeup. So in order for him to do to go home at night, he he maybe would get six hours of sleep. In the meantime, second unit needs him because they needed his face and his, he'd have to say, no, this is not the way you do it. This is the way you do it. I mean, um, it's just.
1: This is why he got the big bucks for this character. That is and a reason he didn't, didn't get enough. Mm, the there's the guy, the same guys that brought you this book, uh, and the, and uh, the documentaries that they've been doing on. Uh, so the guy that done the American Werewolf in London documentary has worked with the guys that made this book. Gary Smart has actually made a documentary, and it's. I don't know if it's close to being done now or if it's done and it's just in post-production and it's called Icon. I know that the the title is changing, but it's the story of Robert England. Hmm. Not not Freddy Krueger, but the story of Robert England. And uh, that is one I'll need to to make sure and send that on to you. But he's been working with him the last couple of years on making this documentary. And again, he said, the things he had to say about Robert England as well is just exactly what you're saying. The guy's the salt of the earth. I mean, he is he is what you call an icon. I I still can't get over the fact that while he lives and breathes on this planet there is another Freddy Krueger movie and he's not <laughs> Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Makes no sense No, to no.
2: What?
1: You know. Yeah, yeah. It,
2: what? I He'll did look. not know that. Uh,
1: <laughs> it's
0: it's called A Nightmare on Elm Street. I think it came out in 2010 something like that and it's um it's Jackie not El- ja- Jackie L Haley um who who plays him. He was was Rorschach. I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He is Freddy
1: Krueger. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. What a sin. Nothing nothing on him himself, but you're going to fail if you play Freddy Krueger and Robert England exists. You're going to fail straight out of the gate. Would you agree with that? Oh,
0: I can't imagine.
1: Did the movie make a penny? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: it, it, it made it maybe maybe one or two pennies, no dollars. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, they, they
1: didn't do the they didn't reboot the franchise like they were hoping to. I, I Elaine think... Stracken says that new movie was shit. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> I, I think the the, the movie. Say it, what you mean? It, 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 made money, <laughs> it, it made money. It made money. It made money <laughs> based based on the the popularity that the character already had. I don't think Mm-mm. it made any money on the the merit of the movie itself. No. Um. It, it's. <laughs> I mean, like you said, Rob England's still around. Just use mm-hmm.
2: him. Yeah, use him. I wonder Maybe. why they didn't
0: use him. It must have been a budget issue.
2: Hmm.
3: Yeah, you think so? Michael Bay guy. was
1: involved in this. Michael, Michael sure, Bay. Oh, like
2: <laughs> then I don't, know. Oh, I don't it just, know.
1: it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Um. So when you when you came onto this movie, were you Friday the Thirteenth or were you on Elm, on Elm Street or were you neither? I was neither. Oh. I'd never
2: i I'd never seen any of them.
1: No way. Did you watch? No I had
2: Ronnie. Right. Well yeah. We, I you, read we
0: that in the, no, we, the notes that you sent. You, that none of you had actually seen any of them before. No, I mean in this movie. Ronnie
2: U, I think, was one of the reasons he was hired is because they wanted this they wanted this this film to be standalone. Hmm. They didn't want it to be like any other Jason or Freddie movie, and yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. Um I mean, we 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 made it, we vowed not to watch any of the movies in pre-production, but toward the end we had to watch a couple of the Jason Fred Jason movies mm-hmm. because there were just things in it that were so iconic that we had to know what they were.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But
1: uh, yeah, and uh, um, what were some of those things? I don't remember. <laughs> All right, um, his mother. Remember. I know that. It I, wasn't
2: the, she wasn't the original mother, but she was fantastic.
1: That's right. I heard, did, were you involved in trying to contact Patsy Palmer, the original mother? No. no I, she, heard, I don't think she was alive. Was um, she, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I heard that. Well, I read online that she was asked <laughs> to reprise the role, but she um, she deemed it too small a role for her. So she was like, uh, oh. I, I did hear that. Yes, yeah, um, I which, did. by the way, Having her back would have been amazing, but see the actress that he's got to play. Fantastic! You wouldn't. Yeah. You really would I, I thought it was her. I genuinely thought it was. Most scary. people did. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. yeah one one uh, guy that stood out in the film for me as, as a really good actor. I mean, it it he does get killed off not early <laughs> on, but relatively quickly. It uh, was uh, Brendan Fletcher. Um, he, I mean, he, he plays the. Uh, the character who is the main character's best friend Mark Davis <laughs> yeah he has he's really good at being scared on camera he's, he's a oh,
2: tremendous yeah. talent he was
0: as really was good.
2: everybody in the movie all you know all those are Canadian actors mm-hmm. but the, the girl who's killed off first in the silo boiler room silo yeah she's phenomenal I mean yeah. really really good all of the all of them were all of them gone on to have really good careers.
1: I know some of the actresses have not been as like they've 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 not spoken very favorably of the movie, but one person that did is Kelly Rowland. and and she, you know, with her being oh, the pop star, she was and, a pleasure. Uh, yeah, so she's the pop star who you would assume would just be like, Oh, you know, they offered me money, but she wasn't. She was like, Hey. And, and anybody that ever gives her stick for being in Freddy versus jason uh playing someone that gets killed she's like hey I went and got paid to have a great time with great talented people like i stand by it and I love that I love when actors and actresses stand by the work they've done especially like i I, I won't hear anybody saying a negative about the movie because i, I would argue mm-hmm. like really what is wrong with it and i've yeah. read I've, I've read about all the the other ideas there were for this this movie those that 10 year and i think the one that that was made is how can freddy's not going to win jason's not going to win you you cannot have a clear no. winner, right no so you can what better way to do it than the way it was done you know
2: and I th- by the way that's that last scene was not shot until six months after we finished the movie because <laughs> they, they couldn't decide if one of them And it was actually shot in Southern California and Ronnie wasn't there and I wasn't there. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, it was easy to do, but
3: it uh, it was not
0: part of the, it was not part of the script.
3: Uh,
0: uh, What what was the, what was the original decision? Was there, was there an original decision as to who would win,
1: if anyone? I'm trying to think as we talk about it, I think, uh, there was another idea that I had read. I don't know if you can maybe confirm this. I heard that they would be fighting right up to the end and chains would kind of come out and stop them and Pinhead would show up and say, <laughs> guys, guys, settle down, and it would end there. I thought that, if that was the ending, equally I'd love I that. don't. I don't remember reading that, but I can't yeah. remember. As we talk about
2: it, I can't remember what the last uh-huh. scene yeah. was, was as
1: written. That was no. uh, it. Was definitely one that was that was in the works. I don't know if it was uh, if it ever got to where when the stage where you came on to make the movie, but it was definitely part of that ten year process that that, that was. And there's even there's a I know it got made in a comic book the where they in, interject Ash from Evil Dead. Um, <laughs> that's a comic book, and I wouldn't hate that. And I think a fan made movie, like there's a fan made movie with Ash in it as well, which is quite funny. Um, but yeah, there was talk about that. As it seems I think. Do you not think in 2021, right, or in the next three, four, five years, see if you got all those 80s, 70s horror legends and made the Expendables of yeah. horror legend? <laughs> Tell me that would not sell. Hell, seems I'll, like it would. I'll pay for it now. <laughs> yeah.
0: you know I mean? like the movie, the movie poster already exists. Uh, that we we previously interviewed an artist uh, called Victoria Glightly, who's who does these amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. Pop culture portraits, and she did one. that It was a mock-up of all the mm-hmm. the kind of uh, seventies and eighties uh, killers. You had um, you had Jason, you had Freddie, you've got Michael Myers, I think Leatherface is in there as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, just, it's this amazing collage of them all together. And I don't know, maybe a movie like that could work. I know. You
2: yeah, know, on YouTube there are a lot of uh, a lot of clips. I don't. I'm not sure what you call them, where people take scenes from all the movies yeah. and they put them together as though it's a movie Yeah. and they call it freddie versus jason versus ash and they put you know, yeah. who know
1: i didn't know the difference i thought they made that movie
2: but it's <laughs> they're very creative you know i gotta
1: yeah. say yeah i know it's, it's insane the amount of talent but that that is amazing and um, we've got a comment here says oh my god that's a movie idea i mean as it it's very it's very straightforward who, who wouldn't want to see like yeah. a series of movies that bring your favourite characters back I think there's money to be made in There, I think it's more a studio issue isn't it, buying the rights and stuff It is, it's a totally Uh, studio issue uh, Uh, Poor Kelly uh, was sad when she died (laughs) 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 Said no one ever (laughs) Speaking of challenges though,
2: I I gotta say the last ten minutes of the movie, mm -hmm. probably the most challenging thing I've ever made all the work at the dock and the fire Mm -hmm. and the you know, the stunt work was unbelievable. We almost, yeah. you know, it was so dangerous. The special effects in that movie were so complicated, was, yeah. you know, special effects and in explosions and fires yeah. that we were lucky that we didn't have anybody hurt throughout the movie. And we almost did. We had a lunch break uh, when we were shooting that and we had propane under those in that water, because that's, that's what we lit the water with. Mm. But a lot of that propane formed under that dock. They we were all eating lunch, and we hear boom. It had exploded right under that dock. I mean, if somebody had been there, it, would have been, it could have been a very serious, deadly accident. Yeah. But that's, that's the kind of challenges that movie had, particularly at that point in the movie. Yeah.
0: You, yeah.
1: Can you I imagine mean, if that happened, happen, like when they were actually filming? Welcome to my world, bitch. And she goes, <laughs> boom, and then every yeah. it becomes one of those uh, those lore. You know that really happened. That actress really died. What was it? The Twilight Zone, same yeah. kind of thing. Oh that, god, yes. That, I, I tell you, that I would think. have been crazy. Eh? John Landis like
2: still famous for the line he did in the funeral uh, uh, about John, uh, what's his name, that died making it. What's
0: his name? Uh, I'll get it for you right now. I, <laughs> yeah. I think oh, gosh. A
2: Great actor. He was in yeah. combat for all those years. Mm.
3: Uh,
2: but in the eulogy, Landis said, but you know what? He would have been proud
0: because uh, we got I, the shot. I've, remember, <laughs> I've remembered that it's his name is Vic Morrow. <laughs> I, I yes, Vic Morrow. Uh, Vic Morrow. Uh. I didn't get the yeah, chance. To, I didn't get the chance to look it up, but it just came. Yeah, <laughs> we uh, got the like, shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Can, can we, you imagine him, anybody saying that?
1: Yeah, yeah, John Landis. He would have been
2: <laughs> proud. We got the shot, even though he <laughs> lost his life.
0: Wow. So you, my that, that, friend, are cancelled. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. um, another another thing about Freddy vs Jason, which we've kind of talked about lightly, is the fact that. I mean, we got Robert England, which is, of Mm. course, but Kane Hodder, he, obviously, if you're not a big Jason fan, if you're not a big fan of the franchise, it makes no difference to you, Jason's just Jason, but for the diehard fans, Kane Hodder was not in the movie, Um, and did you say that you had maybe, did you deal with that yourself when it came to Kane Hodder, or was this something that was already in place? Well,
2: I, I didn't. Personally, deal with it, but Ronnie mm-hmm. just said, "I want a new. I want a new Jason. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want somebody that's bigger and scarier." And he had nothing against Kane Hodder. He hadn't mm-hmm. even seen Kane Hodder. He'd never mm-hmm. seen a movie, but he what? wanted his he wanted his version of that character. And we found him in in Vancouver in Ken Kersinger mm-hmm. I mean, Ken, Ken Kersinger was this, when he when he got his makeup on,
3: yeah. and
2: his cut co- and his wardrobe. He came onto the set the first night he was in wardrobe and he came up behind me. He said, hi, Doug. I turned around. It scared the shit out. Of
3: me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You.
2: In his costume, he stood six foot eight. Wow. And it was the most, uh, I, I don't even know a word for it, mm-hmm. but he was great in the part and he sold the part. I feel bad for Kane Hodder and the Vans, but at the end of the day, it was Ronnie's movie, and that's what
1: yeah. he wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely, you know? I can totally, totally see it. That there's, I
0: mean, there's something to be said for for making him bigger. I mean, Rob Zombie did it with Michael Myers, and for, for me, it worked. I think mm-hmm. yeah. Rob, Rob Zombie's Michael Myers is is very big and imposing and and terrifying, even before he gets the mask on. Exactly. So mm-hmm. I, I think it. I think it. It can definitely work. Um, it's just circumstance and who's making the movie. I suppose mm-hmm. that's that's it. Well, I watched oh, the movie, as I told you before we started again last night, just because I wanted
2: mm-hmm. to be – I just wanted to be – I wanted to have it clear in my mind. And it kind of blows me away how how scary and good it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a quality movie, and every character in it is so well-drawn.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of it. Really, I really – I loved – see, for me, like, what I love about it is, you, I could tell anybody that's never watched either of the franchises to go watch it, and uh, they get it straight away within the first 20 minutes. They Freddy don't have being, to have seen the others. Yes, the fact honestly. that Freddy is is literally narrating the, yeah, but, the story. That, see, that, that! I want that. I where, want did, that where did the
0: decision come to give Freddy the the sharp teeth? I'd never seen that before. Was That that was oh, fresh really? for this movie. Uh, uh, as far was as it? I know, I'd, I'd never seen uh, yeah, Kevin that
1: Look, look at them right there on, on the screen. Was that Here. new? I didn't know that. That's his teeth. I there. thought that's, that's the way him. they were in
2: all the other movies.
1: Yeah, No, he, he was never a, a sharp-tooth guy. Um, mm. and Another thing as well is he was never, initially, originally, he wasn't a child molester. Um, oh, I
2: he, thought
1: he was. I thought that was the whole deal. He was always a child murderer. The, Which the, is worse,
0: by the way. But oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He yeah, it was he, always yeah. it was
1: always a child murderer, but I think that the the child molester aspect came yeah. in later on. I, th- I think they kind of left it open ended, like you make your own mind up. But they never played on it initially because I don't know, it's no something I don't know. I mean, it makes them worse, right? I suppose. Oh, and I, I always agree, murder's worse than than, but still, uh, but the new one, <sighs> it's the it's new one, really... it's a tough line to draw, man. <laughs> it's, they it's, they made him uh, though. Yeah, they made him in the new one. This. That one they made him a molester in that one, and uh, I suppose he looks more like one in that one, but uh, <laughs> but and I, I read somewhere it was in the Slash of the Titans that specifically they didn't want to have Freddy mentioned as a child molester in Freddy versus Jason because and it was just for marketability, like you wouldn't want to promote, you don't want, that. To, you don't want to root for him, you know, but think, it was in there,
2: boy, it was a that was in your face.
1: Uh, that's was,
2: you know, no, that's right. Yeah. Oh uh, man, when he's going after Monica. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was a, a great scene. I got to say, mm-hmm. but I don't think you could put that scene in a movie today. You really don't.
1: No, no, he's very he's very terrifying, yeah. Freddy Krueger. And I think the, the David and Goliath works because you can root for not that you can root for Freddy, but you can believe Freddy can win because. As much as Jason's just bold and I'm going to cut you and keep coming for you and cut through you, Freddy's more he's, he's more strategic and yeah. plays with you. He plays with his food before he eats it, so to speak. <laughs> uh, Jason the,
2: Jason's a killing machine. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Freddy Krueger is a brilliant. Mm-hmm. You, know, he's a, you just he's a whole different he's a whole different realm.
1: You just know he's the instigator when it comes <clears> to yeah. the. If, if two of them were to actually team up, it would be Freddy calling the shots. Which well,
2: It is in this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: I think they got that. You guys got that spot. Remember on. the remember the the pinball scene. Yeah, you know, we,
0: that that's that. I I I actually laughed out loud at that, but it was so funny. <laughs> just kind of ah, <laughs> just bouncing yeah. him off everything he can possibly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that was that, some yeah. brilliant CG, by the way. Yeah, it was, it was really really, yeah. really this, well done. This film was nearly twenty years ago now. Need to, mm, yeah, I know that's insane when you think it's scary about it. You how quite the times passing. <laughs> <It> feels like <laughs>
1: yesterday when um when when the, the movie came out, did you feel any backlash because of the Kane Hodder thing? Did you personally deal with any of that, or was it I just didn't no personally same? deal with it, but no. I
2: certainly I did hear yeah. a lot
1: about it. You were aware of it.
3: It's it a, was amazing. it
2: was it was an issue. Yeah, but not an issue I, I, the studio cared about. <laughs> it didn't have any, it. Had no effect on the movie. I mean, yeah, you know, opening weekend we, we did thirty six million dollars, which was huge.
0: And it was at that point, no one cared
2: yeah.
3: about
0: you know who was in it. What was the budget on the movie? Can you remember roughly what the budget was? Well, because we did it in Vancouver, it was
2: about thirty two million dollars. This is twenty minutes. This is almost twenty years ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we made it with all those incentives that I told you about. Yeah, we made that same movie today, it would be, I gotta say, at
0: least 50, probably 70. Mm. For, for a, I mean, for a horror movie, that's I mean, yeah, that's phenomenal. That's a lot of yeah. money to put a lot of money
1: there. Yeah,
2: yeah, it that was the biggest budget Freddy movie at, up to that point.
1: Mm-hmm. That's mad. And um, we got a couple just last questions here we've I mean we've managed to keep you for two hours which we can only thank you and apologize I agree with that for. last comment they were both bad I totally agree with that oh absolutely yeah um I think I, I, I didn't <laughs> mean
2: to diminish Jason <laughs> as no, a character no. he,
1: he's a badass yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He pretty much killed Kevin. Oh, well, he didn't. He didn't kill Kevin Bacon. That was his mother. That was his mum. His mum uh, killed Kevin Bacon. Another common sake. misconception. Huh? Um, <laughs> which is good that she's been included as well. That's what. That's what I said. I love when that started, and you get a bit of the background from them both. Not too much for you to go. What's going on? But enough to go. Hey, this this is kicking it off the way it should be. Uh, um, so, uh, so
0: Doug, when you watched it last night, did you have a, a favorite scene or a favorite kill? That, that kind of stood out to you like, oh that was fun.
2: <laughs> I've always thought the boiler room scene mm, yeah. was so brilliant. Uh, <laughs>
0: all parts of it.
2: I, I love the scene. I love it. I love the part of it when when Jason becomes a little boy on the floor. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just think visually it's so stunning the whole mm. sequence. And, and the all the underwater stuff we did he goes back to his house and he opens the door and there are all the all the bodies floating from his past. It's those those scenes really
0: brought, brought the movie home to me. Really, I think really I good. think the film it deserves some some more kind of um, examination when it comes to artistic merit just based on yeah. stuff like that. I mean the the, bit, the part where you're talking about um, Jason turning a little boy kind of shivering on the floor that it made you feel bad for him. It, oh same my God. Yeah. Yeah, I, you, that's <laughs> the only. I mean, you,
2: that in the scene when you actually see what happened to Jason in in mm-hmm. Camp Crystal Lake. You know, it goes back to the origin story. You know, you, you almost, you almost sympathize with him, even though he's killing everybody. That you, you, mm-hmm. you get it. Uh No, I, I, I totally agree with you. I, when I when I speak to people, I talk a lot about those scenes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I like the the they use the same Jason that you see in, at the end of the first Friday the Thirteenth. Like it's not like they've tried to get too artistic with it and change how he looks. That's the kid that jumps out of the water at the end of the second one, yeah, uh, the first one. And uh, another really cool thing about the the Jason Voorhees thing was initially one of the one of the original scripts was was written that Freddy worked at Camp Crystal Lake and was the one that drowned Jason. Uh, initially, uh, certainly, really. Yeah, it's in Slash of the Titans. Um, so it obviously changed a lot before it ended up in your hands, oh, but, but this was one of those things. And, and even in. I guess I didn't really know that. Uh, in the dream sequence, uh, Freddy, he, he's he's on the. They kind of hint at it when, he, when they look up at the, the, the lifeguard and he's like, ha ha ha. So they, they did kind of hint at it in the movie, yeah, which is uh, insane. Um, <laughs> so before we obviously before we wrap this up for you, Doug, do you have any. Like, have you, have you got long-lasting friendships that began on that set? And did you have any really cool, funny stories with the cast that you'll always remember on that set? Because, like, th- this, this is one of those movies that will, kinda, will, will last forever and the stories that go on behind. You know, not
2: a lot of funny stories on that movie just because <laughs> of the intensity of making it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a movie where people, you know, laughed and joked. It was, it was, everybody was there to do an almost impossible job. Every actor, every, every actor in that movie had, had role, had a role that was incredibly difficult to do, both emotionally and physically.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
2: unlike uh, next Friday, no,
1: there weren't a lot of, a lot of laughs. <laughs> no, that, that could be a uh, next Friday, the 13th. Yeah Yeah! Could yeah. you imagine Oh my god could be Mike Epps What you doing it, motherfucker <laughs> Did you
2: imagine this, The two of us Together How'd you get killed on your day off <laughs> You're good man, Thanks, you, man. You, should, you should
0: do that As a side gig
1: I'll give it a I'll definitely give it a I
0: could probably only do the voice only though
1: yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but that's it. A- you know, it's a lot
2: of fun when I I, I, I do webinars, <laughs> kind of the same webinar based mm-hmm. on what you and I just did, we just did. Mm-hmm. But the most fun of it is, and people appreciate the most, I use a lot of clips, behind mm-hmm. the scenes clips from Freddie, yeah. from director and, you know, production designer and stunt coordinators and actors and. It's so much fun when people really get to see behind the scenes, how it was made, and what what it took to make it, and the yeah. complexity of making it.
1: It's it's pretty darn good. I mean, it's. Yeah. it's, a, it's a I love master- to talk about. it Yeah, mm-hmm. it's definitely one of those things. Um, for anybody watching as well and listening at home. Uh, Doug, you also do seminars that kind of is like a, a foothold into the business, which um, which is amazing because when I said earlier, you know, how do you get into becoming a producer? I mean, there there is right there in 2021. You can go to Doug's website and you can book a, a seminar with Doug where you've got a full a full seminar which kind of gives you an insight and your first steps into the business. Yeah. Well,
2: better yet yeah, is if you could show my web my. Uh, email addresses. Mm -hmm. I found that after I did that website, so many people have so many different things they want to do, Mm -hmm. whether it be consulting or they want to do webinars, they want to do seminars. I just, I just recommend that you email me, Mm -hmm. tell me what it is you want to do, what you have in mind and we'll work out the details. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's kind of complicated to do on a website, Yeah, but I invite you to go there. It shows you what I've done and, what I can do and what I, how how we can work together. Yeah. But uh, I like to I like to get more personal with people, find mm-hmm. out more about what it is they're doing and what they want, and uh, you know, go from
1: there. So that's how this,
0: that's how this happened. There you go. Yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just so, getting up your email address. Um, there's two of them, and if you just there's a there's a Gmail and an AOL.
2: I'm still old school.
1: AOL. I still have an AOL. I have
2: an AOL, AOL? address. For is you. AOL still
1: a thing. It's, <laughs> I well, I don't know, it know it
2: if it still exists, but it still has. Still, a lot of people my age have AOL addresses. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people in the was... movie business, for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm just. Uh, I've seem to have. I don't know where it's misplaced. This email address. Well, we'll, um, what you we can do it? is we
0: can we can put them into the description uh, once yeah, yeah. The, the video is mm-hmm. is uploaded. Um, Absolutely. So we can we can get it in there. But even if you want to if you want to see what the email addresses are, we can. Mm-hmm. Um, can yeah. It it's, uh,
2: um, my AOL, AOL address is Curtis forty six at AOL.com dot com, and my Gmail address is uh, Doug Curtis. Let me see. Let me make sure I got this right because I recently changed it. Uh, I think it's producerdougcurtis at gmail.com. Yes.
1: Yeah. I have just a second. Is that Is it? it? Yes. He's fine uh, there we well. go. <laughs> there yeah. we are. Producer Doug Curtis at gmail.com. There we go. Um, so for everybody at home that wants to take that next step. I mean, who better than to, to be guided into the world of producing than doug curtis himself obviously we've gone through several of your movies here but there's still so much of doug's career i mean i mean we're we're two hours in just talking about some of <laughs> I our i can't believe it versus no. jason and uh, we could go on another six hours but obviously <laughs> in reality i mean but we we should do we should do more uh very soon on different yeah. movies because i'm going to do it again Absolutely. I'm gonna go through a lot more of your IMDB list because I've yet to see a movie that you've been involved with that I've not enjoyed. Um and it would be really cool to to revisit some of your other movies. Uh I've I've enjoyed this show. Like I've been looking forward to this, like you know, you know, you know me, J Mac. Um <laughs> when there's something related to Friday versus Jason, that's something. But when you got Friday in there, sorry, Friday <laughs> next Friday and Friday after next, and uh watching Sailor, all this is for me it's it's not just been a great episode but it's been a great couple of weeks leading up to the episode. i've managed to see new movies your insights are incredible uh so i'm really looking forward to having you back on again at some point i'm really looking forward to just watching your movies and chatting back and forth with you to kind of give you a bit of a bit of a what do you call it uh try to think, find the right word i've lost it Max, <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about yeah yeah absolutely. And I, to-
2: I totally agree. I, I, It's been so much fun doing this. I can't believe it's over two hours.
1: Yeah. And I've had a lot of fun
2: talking to you guys prior to this. You know, it's, yeah, absolutely. You love movies and you do your homework. And that's, to me, that's everything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the least we can do for all the work that you guys put in to give us, you know, you guys put years into making these movies that we watch for 40 minutes to an hour, you know. So it's, it's well, we love to talk about them. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah.
0: Yeah. I get to thank again, I just want to thank you as well for your for your time and your your insight. I mean, I, I love I love to hear, you know, kind of behind the scenes stuff and the 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 business of making movies is is just becoming more and more interesting as I get older. Um it's yeah. something I, I don't like to admit that I'm getting older, but um um well, it's one of these facts of life. But uh, thanks yeah. very much, Doug. It's, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. And
1: it's well, been so much fun, guys. I hope cool we to do see to you do again. Do it again. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah absolutely well again thank you Douglas and we will catch everybody on the flip side take it easy okay guys, guys. Bye. bye thank you oh, bye. Bye.